What's up, archaeologists and adventurers? On today's show, we're digging deeper into my favorite film of all time. That's probably like a way too too much of a lead-in, but I love this film, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Welcome to the Story Geek Show, officially part of the Orange Grove 55 Network. And you may be listening to this on How Stories Work with Jay Shear, the official podcast channel. Um, so there's various ways you could be interacting with this particular show. But I will warn you that this show will be spoiler-filled. You've had 40 years to watch this film. <laughs> if you haven't watched it already, I just feel bad for you. You should go watch it right now. Because um, I don't know what else to tell you. But let me introduce this illustrious panel of guests that we had today on the Story Geek Show. Uh, starting with one of our you know, frequent guests, another host here on the OG55 channel, Mr. Dre Vash Guy. Uh, so you've been called the lawyer of lawyers. You've been called the... Uh, the producer Dre, you've been called a number of different things, but can we call you now an archaeologist as well? <laughs> I think we, I think you can call me uh, an archaeologist for sure because we're we're unearthing this forty-year film here. <laughs> yes, and, uh, and that's, <laughs> I'm here for that's, puns uh, as well. <laughs> it pr- probably belongs in a museum, and I believe it has been added to the to the archives, right? So this is this is absolutely phenomenal, absolutely great. Thank you so much for having me on. Probably also can call me Vash the Stampede because man, I went crazy on a show yesterday uh, all about Gavin Newsom going to Disneyland. That was a lot of fun. So if you guys <laughs> like what you're hearing right here, you can definitely join us on Orange Grove uh, 55 as well. We have some amazing shows talking about all things, you know, not even just parks, but the Walt Disney Company and, and everything related like that. And if you want to see the, um, if you want to see more of me, you can go ahead and do so right down there at Vash Sky. Just go ahead and type it in and it should pop up for all of that robust discussion right there. And because we, uh, we're, 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 we're doing this, I'll go ahead and uh, instead of a drop, I'll play a little bit of this. How about this? There you go. <laughs> we gotta get, us, gotta get us in the mood and I can't play John Williams. So this is the best thing we can do. <laughs> I love it. Very, very I love cool. it. That we should, we'll probably t- be mentioning the music at some point in time too, because I mean, this film is just full of greatness all across the board. Um, but it is a pleasure to have you with us, Dre, and another longtime friend, longtime guest of many time guest of this show, Mr. Mike Gordon. How are you, Mike? Howdy. I am glad to be here. Yes, a uh, long time. Yeah, that, that means I'm old. Uh, so I get it. <laughs> I maybe you know, I belong in a museum. I would, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that you are a a mature, excellent source Careful. of wisdom. <laughs> That's no, what I would say. I've <laughs> been called a lot of things before, but mature, mm, very good. <laughs> hey, yeah, fair. It's not the, years, the, show. It's the mileage. <laughs> That's, That's right. right. That's, That's right. That's right. And, and by, by the way, for those listening to the audio, uh, you can't see that Mike Gordon has shown up with his Stetson fedora with the same color as is it the temple? Is it actually the temple hat or is it a different version? It is. Uh, I, I believe I bought this before Temple of Doom. Okay. okay, okay. Uh, so, I mean, it's got the, the Indiana Jones logo on it. Yeah, uh, used to have a I used to have an Indiana Jones pin, uh, nice. but I don't know where that went. So I had my hat <laughs> pin, but uh, yeah, this is this is a uh, very dear to me. Yeah, that's amazing. That's awesome. I have I was telling the guys I have a number of fedoras, but I don't have an indie one, and so I'm like, why don't I have an indie one? Like I even have one Stetson. I have, but they're not they're not indie ones. What have I been doing with my life? Um, 
Well, let's. Uh, where can people find you, by the way, Mike? I know you're, you're oh. part of the ESO network. You're part of the ESO podcast, right? I host a uh, day a weekly show, not daily, not yet. Uh, <laughs> we just actually get, we come out twice a week now oh, nice. uh, on Station One, and uh, that podcast is all about pop culture. Uh, we talk. We've talked about Indiana Jones several times uh, on that show. I think uh, now I'm not supposed to, so I, I, I welcome any time that I get to because I've talked about it too much. Uh, although I'm sure we'll talk about him in about a month, right? Yeah. So uh, it's a big it's a big deal over there. Uh, also, uh, you know, you can look at my writing and and the comics and everything else that I'm publishing at uh, newlegendmike.com. Yes, definitely check out Tiki Zombie. Um, fantastic uh, comic. A lot, very um, action oriented. Uh, very kitschy humor. Is what I would call it, um, and it's and it's very well done. So thank you. I appreciate that. that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we're going to jump in and talk about um, Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. I've already said that it's my favorite movie, so I'm just going to come out right out the gate and say that of any movie that I could give a ten out of ten to, this is the movie that I give a ten out of ten to, um, right. which I don't do very often. But like, this is the one. Uh, this is the this is the you know it's it's all the kids out there are constantly saying it's peak this, it's peak that. To me, this is peak cinema, right? Like this yeah. is just phenomenal so let me go around the horn here and dre where, what do you give this on a scale of one to ten uh, you know you have to have a ten right you have to <laughs> yeah. a ten has to exist it can't just always be well nine eight you know gets up there but it's not perfect you know you have there has to be a ten i think i understand you i think this is a ten i think i agree with you jay this is peak cinema right here and delivered at the perfect time too i think and and it's one it, it, we'll get into it but it's one of the reasons why this has become so iconic it's not just in, in you know that it was made in general but but when it was made and when it was released i think it contributes to a lot of the of the lore of this thing but um yeah it's just got to be a 10 i mean it's just perfect casting a very tight contained script we'll talk about certain segments of it i'm sure but um you know it's just a great a great uh, uh, directorial effort by Steven Spielberg, obviously. Him collaborating with with uh, George Lucas is just the perfect marriage, right? And you got George, uh, John Williams' amazing score, like we referenced before right there. Like, what is there not to like about this movie? <laughs> and it and it plays. It, it, it honestly does. I actually saw this film, I believe, last year. Uh, there was a re-exhibition of it. I believe there's going to be an exhibition of it again this year in the lead up to Dial of Destiny at select theaters. I mean, it's just it's just phenomenal. I mean, it's just like you know, you're 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 chewing popcorn, and 40 years after this thing comes out, um, you know, is it as relevant as it was before? Maybe not. You know, it's been, there's been some passage of time, but it still plays. It still plays, and it's still way way up there. So, got to be 10 yeah. out of 10. Could not agree more. I've been watching for for those of you who've been following along. I appreciate you because I've been literally watching all the Indiana Jones content that exists. Meaning, <laughs> I've been watching like, and I didn't know how many actual episodes of Young Indiana Jones there were. And now I'm going through it. I'm like, oh my gosh, my life is basically Indiana Jones at this point. Um, <laughs> but I watched I watched all three of the original films so far. I'm still going to watch um, Crystal Skull here in a minute. And you could not be more right. I mean, it still plays today. And it is like, this is still an amazing film. It is timeless in so many ways. And we'll talk about that more as well. Mm -hmm. um, but Mike, what do you think? Like, what is this on a scale of one to 10? Well, I mean, I can't be at all objective when it comes to <laughs> Lost Ark, which is how I know it, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not Indiana Jones and the Raiders of Lost Ark. Raiders of Lost Ark for me. 
Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I saw this when it first came out and uh, I just fell in love with it and uh, it changed everything. Um, Star Wars made a big impact on my life, made a big impact on all our lives. Of course. But Raiders was the one that really hit me personally. Mm. Um, to this day, I'm not sure exactly. Well, I mean, I do know some elements of why that could be, but as far as why it so effectively like touched me, I don't know, but, um, but it did. And it changed, it changed my life. I became a, a huge fan of the movie, uh, have bought it in every single medium that it's been released on, even on Laserdisc. When I don't, nice. I've never owned a Laserdisc player, but I still own it on Laserdisc. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> I would, I would own the 35 millimeter prints if I could, uh, you know, um, and every time, you know, like when the Blu-rays came out, they got shipped to my house. I opened it immediately and watched the movie. And, and yeah. I mean, I don't know if I've seen a movie more than this and it does hold up for me, uh, even though I can quote it backward and forward and yep. sideways, uh, it just means so much to me. And every time I watch it, I notice something new, which is. I mean, I think that's the beauty of it as well, is that it always it's so uh, deep in the content, in, in the writing, in the acting and the performances in the settings, in the in the achievements that it does with stunts uh, on every level. There's just something to watch and something to yeah. notice. And uh, it, I never get tired of it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah 10 for so me. Um, I, I agree uh dre i agree that uh yeah i don't those people that are like well you know you can never have a perfect 10 i'm like well then why have the number like right. like like you know and there may be you know i i'm a big movie file i've seen tons of movies there there may be movies that are arguably greater or better made or sure. better period than this but none are my favorites uh more than this movie if you ask me what my top five movies were the other four would probably change depending on when and where you ask me, but that number one spot is always going to be devoted to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yep. Yep. Oh, it's the same with me. And, um, and it's interesting because you said something that I think is, is resonates with me a lot. And that is this had a huge impact on me as well. And I don't know if I could exactly tell you why I can tell you the byproduct of it. Right. Mm -hmm. I can oh, tell yeah. you this is the this is the movie that inspired me to be a writer. Like today, all the stuff that I write is all because these people decided to make this film. <laughs> um, it is uh, what I will go back to if I need to feel like I need to feel like I'm at home. You could show me this movie on any portion of the planet. It could probably be in a different language. And I'd be like, I'm home because this this movie just feels like home. Um, for whatever whatever that means it was made the year that i was born so uh, i did not see it in theaters um but from the time that i could see it and by the way i saw them uh in order this way because my parents wouldn't let me watch temple of doom for longer so i saw i, I saw raiders <laughs> i saw crusade and then i saw uh temple um but uh yeah it's just a, it's just to be able to say that something inspired you to pursue something as a lifelong portion of your um career or your hobby or whatever whatever you want to call it it's it, yeah. it, something that inspired you to do that is amazing <laughs> like it's 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 astounding i think it comes from a place of imagination 
George Lucas, if if there is anybody that you would say has one of the most um, uh, lively, creative senses of imagination, like you'd have to give uh, the award to George Lucas with what he's been able to inspire. Um, I don't even think he's the best writer. I don't think he's the best producer. <laughs> I don't think he's the best of any of those things. But if you're giving an award for imagination and storytelling, I'm like, how can you not put George Lucas on the on the list of people you'd give it to? I mean, he's just it's really amazing. We'll get into sort of like the the philosophy behind this and like how in the world this got made, because I think that's, right. that's a really interesting question. But Dre, that's a good story. how impactful was this for you? Oh, my God. Uh, unbelievably impactful. So I was born in 1990. So this is good. Almost 10 years before I was even born i know right it's, it's great but, but no uh, this will children. be encouraging <laughs> <laughs> well okay so so you know the, the my only exposure to this was literally a vhs copy of it that the, the the you know the parents bought and it's like okay well you know here try try this on for size raiders of the lost ark it's like oh okay I, I don't even know when i first saw it it's just been always part of my lexicon but you know i can tell you the first the first time I saw it, I was like, this is awesome. This is absolutely amazing. Again, 10 years after this uh, film comes out, it's still resonating uh, with, with me as a kid, even though there had been subsequent films that had been released. And it just was it just was mind-blowing, epic, uh, unbelievably amazing, and, and has always been, uh, to me, one of, the, one of the best films ever made, one of my favorite films by far. And I, you know, I'm like, okay, I want to, I want to be <laughs> Indiana Jones. So I would dress up like him, you know, I had to get the hat, had to do, you know, all this stuff. And so when the ride was coming out and being produced at, at Disneyland, at, you know, my you know, favorite place in the world is not going to have my favorite franchise featured in this mind blowing epic uh, attraction. I was like, oh, this is freaking awesome. You know, all these things are, are, are coming together in the perfect way growing up. And so I'm all dressed there uh, as, you know, Indiana Jones, uh, we get in line and we get, get, we saddle up and it's like, OK, let's see how tall you are. This short right <laughs> oh, there. No Just way. this short. Didn't and at least I, yeah. <laughs> I know, right? And I'm, I'm devastated, and I had to wait for them by the unload area, and I just see these sheeps go in, and I'm like, man, what is what is on the other side here, you know? Um, but uh, my my mom was like, you know what? We're not leaving until you know until you get on this thing. So um, <laughs> they put they put some stuff in my shoes right there. <laughs> got in or, you know, right just on the height limit road. And uh, it, you know, obviously the, the, the rest is history there. But it all kind of started, the germination of all of that started with the actual film itself. And it's been transformative for so many people. Even Tony Baxter, for example, right? He was like, after this, he's like, the next, the, the Walt Disney in... <laughs> you know, in our lifetime is here. It's George Lucas. Yeah. He's very inspired by uh, this film specifically to partner up with George Lucas to bring his ideas, not just to Disney, but to the parks specifically. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was all about, could we create like a rip war adventure like the original film Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, could, could, could uh, propel you through 
And that's when the development of the, you know, uh, enhanced motion vehicle started and all of that. So it wasn't just transformative to, to our lives, but to the lives of filmmakers, of storytellers, of creatives uh, throughout the entire industry. It just changed the planet. And you, you have to give it to George Lucas. I mean, look, if there's, I don't think there's any single person that's contributed to film and cinema and effects more than him. So let them achieve a reward for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to start with a softball question that we just went into, like how it impacted us. And that's, that's really cool. But I want to start with a softball question because I've got some deeper questions here too. Um, this film has multiple action sequences. Some of these are the best ac action sequences of all time, in my personal opinion. Um, there's a plethora of options in just this film alone. But which action sequence in Raiders, I'll start with you, Mike, which one is your personal favorite? The right in the beginning, the, mm -hmm. the, the first, uh, the, the first, the opening sequence that, uh, happens in Peru, the crypt, uh, it just captivates me. I love the setup. I love the fact that, you know, we learn about Indy, uh, through a series of tests, uh, you know, going through these, you know, trying to get around all these booby traps. Um, and it's great setup for that when he finally has that iconic moment where he replaces, you know, he grabs the idol um, and that, you know, then afterwards, all of those booby traps are still in effect. We, we know them, <laughs> we've seen them. And so he's going through them and then culminating with the most iconic thing that maybe has ever been put on screen with the boulder coming down, uh, which we didn't see at all. <laughs> I mean, it was a big surprise and yet still works. Uh, it's, you know, looking back on it now, it's ridiculous. And yet yeah. it works in this movie. And it, and it just is it's it's so unbelievable. It sets you up for the entire franchise, really. Yeah. Um, not to mention it sets up like many, many, many other franchises after this. I mean, any this is now the template for, you know, Tomb Raider and anything that deals with like going through uh some sort of archaeological dig or, you know, tomb raiding or whatever you want to call it, uh, or adventure. There's always going to be booby traps. So you have to like get around and everything like that. I'm not saying it, Raiders did it first, but man, they did it better than anybody else, I think. Yeah. And, and so much so that everybody wanted to do it afterwards. Um, yes. And it's just like, and, and not only the action, but you get to learn about Indy as a character. Um, and it's those character moments that really propel the whole sequence as well. Then you can relate to him. It's just beautifully well done. And like I said, it sets the tone for the entire franchise. Uh, it's one of the most amazing, like, what is it, 10 minutes or whatever that you'll find, I think, on film. Yeah. Yeah. That's so yeah. true. What about you, Dre? What do you think? Well, I'll include my extended thoughts on that specific scene when we get to the introduction <laughs> of character segment. Because oh, you know, yes. that's, that's, that's yes, mine for yes, that yes. one. But the the act that action sequence i mean and and two of the two of the traps are in the ride you know you got the boulder and then you got the darts <laughs> that's right. so it's like okay <laughs> that's, that's cool but but um no a phenomenal action sequence no question about it it's, like i said 10 minutes psh. but uh i i think i think in terms of action sequences i'm going to shout out two but one of them's my favorite um uh you know the uh the when indy is is kind of battling big dude with the plane you know and that whole sequence oh, right there yes yes yeah, the wing phenomenal yeah. and even george lucas he, he gave credit to steven spielberg 
just saying the way that, sh- that the way that is edited, the way that you can cut between you know what's going on with Indy himself, what's going on with Marion in, in the actual plan itself, when you have the fuel kind of spilling out and it's creating a, a threat scenario, and then cutting you know between all of these segments, and, and also too we have to catch up with the villains as well, what they're doing at the, at this time. You're having to balance all that out, balance out the pacing. And and how the music flows from from one cut to the other, it's just absolutely phenomenal, just on a technical level and and a, and a creative achievement level, just so so good. Yeah, you, you got to give it up to that scene for sure. But I think my favorite is it's got to be the truck scene. The truck scene is just it's so it's just so fun to watch. And I believe some of that was done by Second Unit, uh, but. Uh, but but still though it's just so good it's just so it's so visceral like you just if you feel like you're right there and you're hanging on for dear life it's so rough and tumble you know and it's 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 a and when i compare new indie scenes like let's say crystal skull or even dial of destiny some of the portions that we've seen it's just that's the standard and when yeah. it's not up to that standard it's like you know it just it's it feels like some of that stuff's being filmed in the studio whereas mm. the the truck sequence really does feel like you're you're really on the side of that truck with indy <laughs> just trying to hold on and you know punch those nazis oh, i can't say it punch those um those 1930s germans out yeah. those <laughs> um, germans of repute. <laughs> yeah, yeah and germans is real repute right um but you know he's go he's going through there you know getting get, get lost underneath having to climb over and he's just you know he's rough and tumble and he's taking the hits he's taking the punches i just i love the feel of that sequence yeah. so much right you could just feel the dirt on your hands afterwards and the grit and the grime it, it is just fantastic so i gotta give it the chuck sequence and there's all these little things so so a couple things i want to just mention from some of the action sequences we just talked about and then i'll tell you what my what my favorites are but the first one is when you're watching that fight scene where the big guy comes out, takes off his shirt, and he's like, I'm going to fight Indiana Jones because clearly I'm going to win, right? Right. There's this thing that Harrison Ford does that I don't know if it was a Spielberg idea. I don't know if Harrison Ford came up with it. I don't know if it's in the script. I have not looked. But mm-hmm. one time when the guy punches him, his knees go his knees go out on him. And I'm like, yeah. that little detail tells you all you need to know about how this fight will go if Indy doesn't outthink this guy, right? Like, yes. like he's he's not going to win. We've <laughs> seen him fight other people and win, but he is going to lose in this fist fight. Um, and, and you're right, the blocking on that scene, I cannot imagine the nightmare that would have been. But however they managed that, like... Because it's cow. turning, right? The, it's the, turning. the plane yeah. is turning. She's there, you know, doing her kind of thing. And, you know, then she gets stuck. So, you know, Indy has to do his thing. You've got the propeller and the interplay between those two things. By the way, one of the best <laughs> deaths ever, by yeah, the way. Totally. And they don't even show it, but it's just, it's so <laughs> gruesome. It's awesome. It's it's one of those jaws. You don't necessarily see the shark, but you see the effect. And it's, that is fantastic. fantastic. And then you have the, the you have the, the lake of the, you know like the, the the running gas right there yeah, so you're yeah. only going to get a couple shots of that absolutely that must have been a nightmare you're 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 totally spot on Jay. yeah it's just it's just that's that's phenomenal um the other thing that i wanted to call out was in the um in the uh truck scene which is my second favorite so that is my second favorite okay, in cool. the truck in the truck scene um even just the fact that when he crawl when he goes underneath 
they had to dig a trench out for as long. I don't know if you guys know that this about how this was filmed. Mm-hmm. They had to dig a trench out underneath the course of how they were going to drive that truck because he couldn't be, he was too close otherwise. So they dug a trench out and he in the and you can kind of see it if you're watching closely, but the the movie magic that is done with practical effects is out of this world. Like it is it is next level amazing how they figured yes. out we're going to do this stunt. This is what the stunt is going to be. How do we figure this out, guys? And then they figured it out. It's and it's phenomenal. So that is a I love that stunt. It is one of my. It's a great stunt. Of course, it's inspired by uh, I can't remember the stuntman's name, but he did a, a stunt back in the like 30s or 40s on a western where he did that the same thing with uh, on a on a horse and ki- like the horse. Like stagecoach type of deal? Yeah, stagecoach, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, that sequence also has my favorite, like, making of Indiana uh, Raiders line in it. Making of almost any other movie is that when uh, they're getting ready to shoot Harrison, like, being dragged. Because they actually <laughs> drag him for a little bit. Obviously not a lot, but they are dragged. And so, you know, he's, he's preparing and someone asks him behind the camera. Someone says, so, Harrison, you ever been dragged by a truck before? And he goes, dragged by a truck, dragged by a truck. Nope. <laughs> he said, he goes, it's just one more useless experience. <laughs> <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, up. that's, that's Indiana Jones. That's Indiana Jones saying that, like, I mean, it, it, it her, the it line blurs between Harrison and Indy right there. Um, and I think that's another reason why it works so well. Yep. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, so love that sequence. Even even the parts where uh, where they add comedy, like I think it's so funny when they run over the one body. I know it sounds oh. terrible. But they run over the body and, no, and that, his arms go up. Well, like, that's what makes so it fun, funny. though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, because exactly. you hate this guy and you want to see this guy get his comeuppance, and yeah. he gets it. And it's it's hilarious. It's hilarious. I think it's a great one. Oh, I love it. Anyway, so that that's my second favorite one, but um, but my first favorite is the same as yours, Mike. Um, because I I watched it again this time, and 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 like we've like we've all said, like we're finding stuff that's new. The thing that I found new this time was that in an in an era of CG, just rampant CG like cool new things like the volume are out there and they're doing cool stuff with that. But when you go back and I'm looking behind, so Indy's got the, the, the bag of sand and there's the idol and I'm looking behind him and I'm going, that's all set pieces. Yep. Somebody went in and they built all that stuff and they added that moss and they said, we need more moss because it doesn't look mossy enough. And somebody did all that stuff and it looks better than any CG could look. Um, because they literally replicated what it would have looked like in real life if you were there. Um, and I think that that, so you mentioned Tony Baxter. And one of the things that occurs to me is that like, when I, when I ride that ride, it mm. feels like they did the same thing. They right. took the same care. They took the, you could literally go and film an Indiana Jones film using the ride as your set pieces. Yes. Um, yep. 
and that's just that's just really inspiring that there's that kind of creativity and there's those kind of folks that are there. Um, go ahead, jump in, Dre. What were you gonna say? Well, no, I was just gonna say it, it set the standard, right? That yeah. set design and that introduction sets the standard for the entire franchise <laughs> yeah. and also the ride. You know, it, I, I'm sure Tony had had uh, conversations. I was like, it's got to look this good, guys. It's got to yes. look like you're jumping into an Indiana Jones adventure. So it's just phenomenal how that right there we got to actually see that at one point and you know uh that th 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 they were able to take the the mo relatively modest production budget that they actually had and and created a set piece that was so immersive i guess yeah. is 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 the is the word you would use now it's and totally immersive and last thing i'll say is that after that sequence ends and he's with belloc and then he escapes that last section where he's running down the hill, he's got all of the local people behind him with all of their their blow darts and their arrows and everything else. And Jock Lindsay is sitting on the lake fishing. <laughs> and, he's, <laughs> and he's barreling down and Jock's kind of like, well, I got a fish. I can't like take off now. And Indiana Jones is like, we've got to take off, dude. Um, and then he gets up in the plane. And, and, and this is so indicative of what you were saying, Mike, earlier about like them revealing through action what Indy yes. is all about is – he sees a snake and he's more scared than he's been the entire time That's by true. the snake in the plane, right? Like it's just so, it's so magical in the way that they play all of that out. Uh, it's just, I could geek out on this uh, on for, for, for probably the rest of the night. Um, but you guys all chose great stuff. there. fantastic conversation. Um, so, so I'm just going to continue with this kind of line of thinking because I'm curious as to your guys' thoughts on this. So to me, and as we've talked about, it's for sure true of you guys as well. Indiana Jones represents originality, pure movie-making joy, the brilliance of creativity. It's a film about an archaeologist. Like, this is coming from the brain of George Lucas, which is completely madness. And he goes, <laughs> I'm going to do a film about an archaeologist that's searching for powerful artifacts, and I'm going to try and prevent those artifacts from being used for evil. And it's all done in this classic pulp serial story style. Uh, which I love, by the way. Um, it's one of the most beloved films in cinematic history. But do you think, based on all, like the pitch that you would have had to make uh, to get this film into theaters, do you think, Dre, I'll start with you, do you <laughs> think this film would even get made today? Well, it barely got made at the time. That's the crazy thing is you have George, you have you have Steven Spielberg, who just came off of the biggest blockbuster, the first blockbuster ever, essentially, <laughs> yeah. with Jaws, right? And that, I mean, the 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 hell that was the production of that movie. Uh, you know, he, he, <laughs> he thought he wasn't going to work at all. He goes off to, <laughs> I believe, Hawaii, build some sandcastles, get away from it all. And well, it turns out it's the biggest movie of all time. And he didn't even know that <laughs> until he came came back into the world. But that started the tradition. And well, George Lucas has his own experience with his own film with the original Star Wars back in 1977. He, uh, just, a, just a hellish experience there. And well, at, they were good friends at the time. So. Uh, Steven's like, hey, George, you know, this is what you got to do. You got to do what I did with Jaws. Let's go to Hawaii together. Let's get away from it all. Whatever happens, happens. But at least we'll have a good time. And, uh, you know, they're out there, you know, building sandcastles out, out there on the beach. And they're like, you know what? Uh, it's 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 interesting, the, the cinematic lives that we've had. But what's the project that we, we both want to do? What What's the one thing we both want to do? It's like, we want to make a James Bond film. And they come to the conclusion very quickly that... 
the, the family will never sign out the rights for them to do it. So it's like, well, what if we made our own James Bond? And that's the origins of the character, right? And and even though they had have had massive success with with Jaws and, and Star Wars, the 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 comp- level of compensation, the budget they were asking was just it's just, you just there's no way no studio would say yes. They took it to multiple studios and they eventually got to Michael Eisner with Paramount at the time. And it was like, here's our idea. And Michael <laughs> Eisner, he knows talent. He knows what a big thing's popping off. It's like, well, we got to get in business with these guys and signs the deal that <laughs> years later, Disney themselves would have to negotiate with Paramount. <laughs> interestingly <laughs> enough, but that's besides the point. And it gets, and it gets made and, and, you know, it's 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 quite the adventure because this was, you know, the studio system of the golden area of, of cinema where everything was made in the studio and everything that had that was definitely expired by this point. You had this kind of new era of of creatives who were like, you know, what, let's take the camera outside the studio. Let's film it on location. Right. And uh, camera technology had advanced to the point where which that was really feasible. But this was still something where it was like, we're going to be in Africa, like we're going to be in Tunisia and we're going to be filming with the with the, with the populace that we're going to be in. You know, uh, did they film in South America? Do you, That's does a good know that? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know, but it, it feels so, real. Right. And you yeah. have to be in a jungle at some point. <laughs> right, and right, that's right. really, really difficult. And for the studio to agree to that, I mean, that's that's a big that's a big ask, a big risk. And and so yeah, I mean, creating this film now in the in the way that it was done before, I just don't think I just don't think he can do it. And I think that's one of the reasons why the attempts to recapture this, like with Crystal Skull and Die of Destiny, don't quite work as well as 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 what they did before because at the time it was produced especially you know coming off of the kind of cynical era of cinema right you mm-hmm. know where everything has to have an edge where everything has to have this to have this kind of pulp adventure like this yeah it's just it's just it was just lightning in a bottle it was the perfect antidote to the actual cinema that was actually taking place at that time yeah yeah, it was Kauai. It was actually Kauai. So I looked it up in South America, and that film was Kauai. Yeah. So gotcha. Um, pretty wild. Pretty wild. What do you think? What do you think, Mike? Would this could this film get made today? Uh, it would be very yeah. It's very unlikely. Um, for all the reasons that Dre mentioned, uh, the fact that you know it was lucky to be made at all. I mean, obviously, it had the two you know highest grossing three highest grossing movies you know behind it like you know the guys who had made jaws close encounters that's how they sold the movie to people like they said this from the makers of jaws close encounters <laughs> star wars boom but like you'll want to see this because these guys made it right and that's exactly what paramount was carrying uh, counting on um but yeah i mean the old time serials that that lucas grew up with that he loved uh he didn't you know they weren't being made anymore not even close to anything like this before uh harrison ford was still kind of uh not a big name i mean obviously he'd made a name for himself in star wars and a couple other movies but i mean this is the movie that would really catapult him to stardom i think and just seal the deal that you know he was never going to get like minimum wage ever again uh (laughs) the uh um so and and you know i mean george was we all know that you know before star wars george tried to get the rights to flash gordon right mm-hmm. 
and that failed. So then he created his own. And in doing so, I think he really learned the lesson that, hey, if I create my own IPs, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the back end is going to really uh, be very profitable for me. Absolutely. So even though I know that uh, or I understand that he was a big Alan Quartermain fan um, and these kind of things had been done before. So it wasn't like I don't I don't know that I would call this like very creative, like original, like mm. or, or like, yeah like creatively original mm. because th this had been, you know, done before. Had it been done this well? No. Right. Mm. Uh, and had it been done in a while? No. Um, so they really kind of dug this whole genre back uh, from like for, I mean, it hadn't been really done in like maybe at that point, 20, 20, 30 years, maybe mm -hmm. uh, not on this scale. And so, yeah, asking a, a, a studio to do that, even though, you know, now it would cost a lot more money than it did then, because uh, everything costs more money now. Yeah. And, and, and it certainly wouldn't be made like it is now. I mean, right. it would be all CG. They'd be fun. Of, I mean, look at the last two Indiana Jones movies. Exactly. Uh, this one that's coming out and the last one, all CG, right? Yep. Not practical yep. at all. So, mm -hmm. um, so it certainly wouldn't have been done. Um, and other concerns too. I mean, you know, the re the religious aspect of it, uh, mm. the fact yeah, that it's not that, that diverse. Some of the, you know, you could argue that some of the things are not very politically, like you know, cool now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there might be you know problematic now, things of that nature. Um, it would be a very, very, very different movie, mm. um, and that's that's unfortunate because yeah. you know this movie has proven to me and and not just like you know with the fact that it's it's still a, a valuable ip but the fact that hearing you two guys who didn't see it in the theater initially you know who saw it like later on still resonated as powerfully for you guys as it did for me and that says like that tells me more than anything like that this movie is a unique you know piece of work piece of art yeah. that that um and look we all know that it's a miracle when a good movie is made, right? Like yeah. it's just like the lightning has to hit at the <laughs> right. right time. And it really did for this movie. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I don't, but I don't see a studio. I mean, studios now wouldn't put up the money for something that was a, a brand new IP. They just, right. Wouldn't. Right. It, it's, it, it's definitely a risk. And I think, I look if George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were part of this thing, this doesn't get made. There's no yeah. question, right? Uh, but uh, but and, and look, it, you know, it is derivative for sure of some of those of some of those uh, of those earlier concepts representing uh, pop culture at the at the time. But but because of where it was placed uh, in terms of when it actually was released, it feels fresh, yes. feels mm -hmm. original, mm -hmm. and I think that's the I think that's the when, when the big coup de grace for this film is that they're taking concepts that worked before, you know, re-envisioning them and, and, and putting them into a modern context uh, <laughs> the right way. There's the wrong way to do that. <laughs> but definitely do it the right way and recapture some of that magic. It, it reminds me of like the, um, of I think the closest thing to this, to this extent, probably Pirates of the Caribbean when that actually came out. Mm. It, you know, nobody had produced a swashbuckler 50 years or something before that actually comes out. A lot of people thought, felt that was a, jet, a dead genre. 
Uh, but but you know when that mm. is introduced to the public in the way it was and and with the level of quality that it was, it feels fresh, feels new, feels like you know nothing else we've ever seen before. And I, I think I think for you know if anybody's listening to this and and remember what that time period was like, that's probably the closest analogy to when this mm. was actually produced and released. Mm. Or even yeah. like, or even like Iron Man, you know, because yeah, uh, because you okay. know, superhero movies were not something anybody was interested in, and then Iron Man changed all of that. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, um, it, I was maybe you made me think of like the last pirate movie I can think of prior to Pirates of the Caribbean was uh, Cutthroat Island. <laughs> remember, yeah. you remember that? And I was like, that didn't go anywhere at all. Um, <laughs> This is this is I totally agree with both of you. I don't think this film gets made for all of the reasons that you guys mentioned. Um, just to double down on a couple of them, if it, it would be a CG mess, is what it would be, and it would to double down on your comment, uh, Mike. It would there, we're only funding IP at this point. Yep. Um, we're not giving. Yeah, there are like everything everywhere all at once. Yes, there are breakout independent films, but like even a big studio didn't get behind that film, right? Like that was an A24 film. Right. Um, so I've heard people say, well, the the problem with today's film is that it's all based on IP and then and, and people will argue like, no, 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 you're just not watching the right films. And it's like, yeah, because the big studios are not putting money behind these kinds of no. films. They're only putting money behind kind of IP based films. And to the and and it's it's actually that mentality is growing. Unfortunately, uh, Matt Bellany yeah. had a great article on Puck talking about Pixar and how yes. you know one of the places in which original film would come out and be financially viable for the studios even today was in animation. Even then, it's like, well, have you looked at Mario? Have you looked at you know uh, uh, Puss in Boots? Have you looked at some of the stuff <laughs> that is a sequel or something like that? Maybe even in the animation context, we shouldn't be pursuing this. And, and there are legitimate conversations to that effect uh, taking place right now. But a, a film like this, with this budget, with this you know wide release and so forth, you know, I don't think it gets done unless you have a really kind of creative head attached to it. Yeah. Probably the the closest analogy to this is probably Christopher Nolan, right? Yeah. He can bring an original film to life because he's Christopher sure. Nolan. Right, sure. right, because that's his selling point. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, he's exactly. the only one that, like, any other buddy makes Oppenheimer, and it's released in the fall and winter, right? Oh, exactly. 100%. It's not yeah. a summer blockbuster. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But it really strikes, I mean, I I mean, I, it, I was taken aback, like, it was about, I don't know, five or six years ago or so, I was reading an article, uh, interview with Steven Spielberg, and he was talking, I can't remember which movie he was talking about, but he was talking about having to pitch this movie to i don't know what some studio or something like that and i was like this guy still needs to pitch yeah. <laughs> like, like like you know if if steven just can't say i want to make this movie and it gets made nobody can <laughs> right basically exactly oh that's so true that's so true so yeah i don't think that this movie gets made today it certainly doesn't get made the way that it got made um in today's in today's world and we would have never seen this magic last thing i wanted to say is just to pick up on a couple of things that you guys were already saying that that um i'm realizing maybe for the first time is the fact that they had now they did get lucky in a couple ways too but the fact that they had this idea that we were going to create james bond but then they said you know what he's got to be an american version of james bond and then to your point mike they're pulling from this legacy of like british explorers predominantly right like whenever you see like the people exploring <laughs> the, the pyramids and unearthing mm -hmm. things in egypt a lot of it's colonial 
Britain for the most part, right? Um, and they could go, well, let's put this American in that scenario and see how that kind of plays itself out. Not that there wasn't other versions of Americans doing similar things. Um, but yeah, yeah I just, just so uh, many things. I just watched uh, the original King Kong for the first time in a oh, long yeah. time. And and that's very much like, I was like thinking about it going, wow, this is a this is an American, like, uh, what do they call him? Like game hunter uh, kind yeah. of guy. Yeah. Uh, and it's got that same sense of adventure. Yeah. Uh, uh, very successful, of course, very influential. Um, that movie uh, turns out to be as well. And, and you know, I mean, so, but it was, but it, you're right. It was rare. It was rare. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's just, uh, just capturing lightning in a bottle, like you guys mentioned. Um, okay. So question three, I'll start with you on this one, Mike. Um, Raiders does something that I find to be very bold. Um, and we've seen it in a lot of movies and a lot of films, but I don't think it always works. And that is that it balances physical threats with paranormal and supernatural threats. Um, obviously we all love this movie. So I have a feeling that you do think it works, <laughs> but why would it work or why would it not work? And, and how did they capture this in such a way that makes us so, uh, it makes it so appealing to us. Yeah, this is a, a tricky one. Because I'm not even sure that I mean how well aware they were that this was a bold move. <laughs> yeah. uh, because certainly, you know, a lot of the pulp stuff was very much dealing with occultish things uh, and 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 that nature. Um, although we can get into like most of that was like more tribal, you know, than right. it was like you know actual Christian lore. Um, but I mean, it still was, uh, you know, going to the jungles and that kind of thing was very much uh, a thing back in those early serials. Um, but the supernatural element, I think also at the time that it wasn't as much of a risk because I think a lot of movies were doing it successfully, um, not adventure movies because that wasn't really a thing then. But if you look at like the 70s, like the early 70s, especially thrillers mm. like The Exorcist or uh, Rosemary's Baby or mm. The Omen, like these are movies that are like done and they they have this sense of like dread and and this sort of like supernatural uh, demonic quality to them mm -hmm. that is really, really effective and was really big in, with the box office. I mean, those movies did really, really well. And and they were really scary and unnerving. And I think it was something that at that point, I mean, a lot of us were I mean, I remember being caught up in supernatural things at the time and and unexplained phenomenon, whether it was UFO, UFOs or Bigfoot or cryptids or anything like that. I mean, we had a whole series called In Search Of where Leonard Nimoy was looking for this yeah, stuff. Right. I mean, right. it was just something that was in the ether at that time. Right. Um, and, and we all love exploring that. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. What about you, Dre? What do you think? Does it does it work here? Where does it work? Where does it not work? I think it I think it works, and because it is dealing with Judeo Christian, um, you know, you know, references and so forth. I I think it I think you're okay even now. I mean, we're we're seeing even even today. Uh, I believe Russell Crowe was just in uh, a, a film featuring you know the Vatican exorcism and all oh, that that's kind right. of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Pope's so it kind of like, you know, yeah. like, like it, I think that stuff's still viable, but uh, you know, when you're, when you're trying to go to the, 
you know, you're trying to unearth the the the, the, the ark of the Co- uh, ark of the covenant, and you're going into you know Middle Eastern countries and so forth. It's like, well, well, now it's like, well, we have to be authentic, and we have to be, <laughs> you know, really kind of careful how we depict you know this or that and the other thing. Um, I think you, I think you could because, you know, it's it's not like like they treat the the. They tr- they treat this the lore and subject matter very seriously, right. and they kind of establish that tone. You know, one of my favorite scenes in the entire film actually is that exposition scene when he's explaining to the guys, "This is what the what this is what the Lost Ark is." And even George Lucas himself has said that's a really awesome scene from from Steven Spielberg because you have to have that scene. So how do you do it in an interesting way? And he's got the chalkboard there, and you have the the natural audio, you know, audio resonance from the actual room itself, and and it's 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 going through there, and I think it's just phenomenally done. But it, it says right here, hey, look, this is the you know staff of Ra, and this is the power of the Ark, you know. Mm. Um, I think you could do that, and and obviously everybody gets their comeuppance at the end, and it's it's all depicted really really nicely. But uh, even like the depictions of the Ark itself are 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 done in such a way that uh, there was research applied to it. If you if you read the passages in the Bible on how the ark actually looks, it's pretty similar to what we we get in the in the film. It's really kind of interesting how that is actually handled. And there was this concept. Uh, I don't know how far it got. Uh, I, I don't I don't know how far it went, but apparently there was this concept for before they settled on the plot for Dial of Destiny. There I guess there was this idea that you could you could bring the arc back in this way and pairing it with, I guess, the spear that contacted uh, Jesus. Oh, sure. I, I believe. Um, I, mm-hmm. And I don't know what that artifact is called, but you could you could somehow, you know, combine these relics, <laughs> essentially, and, and, and have its, its own story take place and how that is even viable today. And I thought, yeah, I think you could do that. So it just all depends on how you actually depict these things. And when we get to Temple of Doom in a, in a future video, <laughs> that dynamic changes pretty good there. I think mm. Lasker saved my fall in the middle there, so we'll we'll get to that. But interesting, but I, yeah. I I think I think with how this is depicted and how you know obviously uh, Steven Spielberg is, is is you know Jewish origin himself, right. how this is all done, I think is done pretty pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think the reason why I included this question is because I did a I did a whole video about um, what makes Indiana Jones work as a character, and uh, obviously the three of us haven't seen Dial of Destiny yet. Some others have. That um, you could apply this logic to Dial of Destiny as well. Um, note that this this logic does not work for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, um, which may be why that film wasn't received as well. But you have two things going on with Indy. Um, and, the, and the first one comes from, I'm stealing it from the strict script notes, guys. Um, script notes is hosted by John August and Craig Mazin. Craig Mazin having a phenomenal um, time with the stuff that he's put out most recently, The Last of Us. Um, and what they were talking about was uh, Indiana Jones always learns to... And they were talking specifically about this film, but it can also be applied to Temple and Crusade. Indy learns to value uh, people over things, but he always starts the film valuing things over people. And so you'll kind of notice that he's, you know, he's uh, even is even the first time he meets Marion, she punches him in the face because he's like, I just want you so I can get the head of the staff of Ra. I'm not here to see you. Right. Um, And it's this idea that over the course of time, 
he's almost willing to blow up the Ark of the Covenant for her, right? So it's like, okay, so he's over the course of time. Now that scene works itself out where he has to make a choice and the choice he makes is like, okay, wait a minute, maybe I won't blow it up because they're going to kill her anyways, right? Like, so so his his journey is not a smooth one. It has lots of like very human qualities to it. Yeah. But the other part that I tack on to that, to that love, that line of thinking is I go, I also don't think that Indiana Jones works as a character if he doesn't go from skeptic to reluctant believer by the end of them all. And that's where the, that, and the reason I think both of those things work is because those two problems are incredibly human problems. You, you don't, (laughs) you, we walk about our daily lives realizing that we need to value people over things and getting that tripped up sometimes in our pursuit of whatever we're trying to do. But also there's this, there's uh, now I'm, I'm, I'm a Christ follower. So I do believe in supernatural, obviously. However, I am, I am, uh, I am geared mentally to be far more of a skeptic. So I walk through life every morning, waking up and being like, I don't know. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and so this, so the journey that Indy goes through is the same journey that most human beings will go through. And I think that that's just resonates. And if you don't, if you only have one of those without the other, I think yeah. you lack something of the experience. Right. So, um, I was just well, going to say just to final, just to finalize the point sure. in kingdom of the crystal skull, he already knows. Yeah. He already knows that the beings exist. He starts the film knowing that the mm. beings exist. He doesn't have to change over time to go like, oh, yeah, they're here. There's no point at which he's skeptical. He goes, I know that they're here because I'm the one that I was there at Roswell. <laughs> right. Like, um, so there's that aspect of it. And then the the valuing um, people and things uh, as well. Like he, he doesn't seem to he's 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 literally not even chasing after the crystal skull so much as he's chasing after his friend who's kind of lost his mind. So. Right those two things break down in that film. And I think that those things are so quintessentially Indiana Jones that it feels wrong if we see him in any other setting. So I'm curious to see how Dial of Destiny pulls that off. But you, sorry, sorry, Dre, you go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I, well, and that, and that, that kind of skepticism is set up early on with, uh, with, you know, partly in the exposition sequence that we talked about before, but also there's that one scene with Marcus Brody, right? That one scene right before he gets to the plane. And it's like, you know what you're doing here? You know, this is the Ark of the Covenant. You know, it's like, well, I'm not into all that. Come on, Marcus. It's going to be fine. It's okay. And then by the end, you know, you feel that he's kind of gotten an understanding. They, they really hit this point home. And I think uh, maybe too far, maybe not enough. I'm not sure. But in Temple of Doom, they really kind of, you know, fortune and glory, kid, fortune and glory. And then at <laughs> right, the end, right, it's right. like, I understand its power now, kind of thing. He he has changed as as a dynamic character in that in that piece, and you know, but there's still some some of that uh, cynicism left, I, I suppose, because that's a prequel in in for, <laughs> right, for, for that's Raiders. Right, that's right. It's an yeah. interesting thing, but um, yeah, it's I, I I it's a great point, Jay. I think that that he's experienced, obviously, he's got that great introductory piece, right? But he's also relatable in that he is a skeptic in this way, and through his yeah. adventure. Uh, he kind of, you know, he has that, uh, what is it, uh, uh, um, kind of X-Files moment where it's like, okay, I understand. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. I mean, you're right. It is a great counterpoint because he starts off with Marcus and he's like, you know, I don't believe a lot of hocus pocus, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. And then by the end, he's like, when they're going to open it, he's like, shut your eyes, Marion. Because he's like, exactly. this is what's coming. Like, I believe that something is going to happen here. Yeah. Right. And there's all those, there's, you guys have already mentioned two phenomenal lines that appear, but even when he's teaching his class, he goes, 
the search the archaeology is the search for facts if you want truth philosophy 101 is down this down right. the corridor right? right so like every single portion of his character is like i don't do that stuff i just find stuff in the ground right um so just phenomenal stuff here um awesome. mike i'll come back to you on this one uh mm -hmm. start to start with you Raiders was released in 1981, which means that it was being made in the late 70s and early 80s. Does it feel like a film that was made in the late uh, 70s and, and early 80s? Because the, the decade of the late 70s into the in through the 80s, really through the end of the 80s, is a very distinct decade of film and yes. filmmaking. So... I'm wondering if if it feels like it was made in that decade. Is it does it not feel like it was made in that decade? And if so, what makes it obvious that it was made in the 80s and what makes it feel timeless? Well, uh, you know, at this question, my first thought is like, all right, you know, my old man part of me says, well, they don't make movies like that anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, obviously. I mean, the film itself, I think, has a has a, as we've mentioned before, a timeless quality to it. Like I mm. said, it's effective to uh, people who are who watch it after it was released, you know, many, 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 many years, you know. Um, and that's that's a true testament to, I think, how well it's made. But the way it was made, as we've already talked about, would not be made the same way now. Mm. Um, and it does use a lot of elements that. uh you know, I guess, you know, we should be thankful that for as many things as it does handle as far as, uh, you know, maybe possibly potentially problematic issues, it's pretty tame, you know, compared to a lot of things that were done around that time. But I also feel like, as you pointed that, I mean, right, the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, we're opening up to adventure movies adventure blockbuster movies yeah. and uh you know jaws close encounters star wars obviously uh raiders i mean are at the forefront of that movement um star trek as well i mean there's just this huge wave of of all these movies that are people want to go see they're craving these adventures uh they're they're much more adventurous they don't seem to make adventure movies as much anymore or they haven't as in the last, like, I'd say 15, 20 years. Um, and so from that element, I think, I think, yes, it is a product of its time, a great product of its time. Uh, one of the pinnacles, obviously, you know, for every one of Raiders, you have like 20 movies that are just, they don't, they can't get it right. Uh, so, uh, but as far as uh, the themes and the actual like you know movie itself, I think that's more more timeless. Mm -hmm. The fact that it doesn't take place in the eighties, right? Yes, still Just like key, bring up. Key, key component of of why that works that way. Yeah, the time true. period set is is a big factor, right? Because it's it's going back to I believe nineteen thirty six is when the film is actually. You know, uh, piece that so it's a period piece, but it's also kind of a romanticized version of that time period and and that's the one distinguishing quality about George Lucas kind of films is that they kind of they feel like it's their own world you know it's mm -hmm. it feels kind of whimsical and, and fantasy like and and that's what I think delivers that that timeless quality to it mm. you can almost almost think of this when you're thinking like 
like the mummy try try to do this and i think yes. one of the reasons why that film feels uh timeless in a, in a in a very similar way doesn't quite achieve the same level as raiders but one of the reasons why is because they do set it as a period piece mm. uh which is which is similar uh to this film and you know it's it's a juxtaposition between the adventure films that were that came out in the in the 80s and and a lot of the ages 80s fair at that time and the 70s fair at that time they were very contemporary pieces mm. this was because it was it was set back in the 1930s i think really kind of helped it establish this you know um this timeless this timeless quality and and the effects that they feature in that in that in in raiders outside of a couple really do hold up quite well um mm. And that that also contributes to it because you know I think the dated CGI I think in Mummy kind of you know holds it back from being truly timeless in the same way Raiders is. Yeah, yeah, those are really great points. I I, do, I totally agree that it's timeless. The things that I picked up on, the things that I pick up on, and I kind of miss from seventies and eighties films is that seventies and eighties films, particularly eighties films, had this audacious quality to them. And that was that it really felt like the writers and directors sat down and said, we're going to have scenes in this film that will make audiences feel every emotion, which is not a contemporary thing. Like we brought up um, Christopher Nolan earlier. Christopher Nolan's not making you laugh. Like maybe every once in a long while, he'll like throw yeah. in a joke here or there. But like he goes in with a specific mindset and says, I'm going to go deep into this film. It's going to be very hyper realistic. And what would it be like to be in this? Um, whereas in the 80s, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about like classic 80s films like Back to the Future, right? Where it's like, we're going to make you laugh. We're going to make you cry. We're going to make you worried. We're going to make you on the sit on the edge of your seat. They, they just went for every single type of emotion. And in that regard, I think uh, Raiders is very much um, it's. I think that the way I categorize 80s films is that if they're trying to scare you, if they're trying to um, have an adventure, if they're trying to have action, whatever, it's still going to be fun overall. Now, there's it's some fun. exceptions to that, right? Yeah. But the blockbusters were, for the most part, really fun. Yeah. And I don't think you'd describe like a Christopher Nolan film. I love Christopher Nolan, by the way. He's one of my favorite directors of all time. But I would never describe his films as fun, particularly, right? Right. Um, and so I think that that is a product of its time. And, and that seems to be getting harder and harder and harder to reproduce. Because to, you, to both your points, with there being some prob problematic elements of the film, for example, there's clearly people who are not the ethnicity that they're supposed to be portraying in the, in the um, scene where he's in Nepal, Um so there's there's those kind of elements there that are a little uncomfortable. They call him Baloch. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Is it is he Egyptian? I'm not sure. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, so there's but like but the overarching feeling is we're not trying to make a statement about culture. We're not right. trying to make like we're not we're not the intent here is not to say that we should have cast the, like an indigenous person or not cast an indigenous person. The intent here was we were just trying to make a really fun film and right. we were, we weren't, we, there was no intent to offend. There was no, it's, it's not like they are um, any kind of, any kind of jokes that they work in. This will be, this will I'm sure come up on the temple of doom um, podcast that we do, but when they're eating the, the chilled monkey brains, 
that's not a joke that says let's laugh at people who live in India because they're eating chilled monkey brains. That's right. a joke that says Americans aren't very cultured. So what's the craziest stuff that we could put in front of an American that would make them queasy? Like so so it's like it's not intended I don't think that that's always true. Like, for example, I really enjoy Big Trouble in Little China, mm. but I think that there's some elements of that film where they're going like, let's make fun of Chinese Americans, right? Like, I don't get that same feeling here. I don't get the same intent here. It's like, um, there's like an innocence. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, they're, not, they're not trying. It's. I mean, they're not. they're not shooting for realism. No, right. Uh, exactly. They're not trying to fool you that this is a documentary or anything. I mean, they just, they just, you're right. They just want to have fun. And that's because that the movies that they, that they grew up with in the thirties and forties were all adventure movies that just were not interested in, in, you know, telling a like, I mean, obviously you have to have it based in some reality yes, or else it just doesn't work. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and people can't connect with it, right. but yet, I think the notion that these guys have, at least when they're making these movies at this time anyway, are people are going to the movies because they want to have a fantasy. They want to, they want to forget about things. They just want an adventure. They want everything. Um, and we're going to give them everything. You know, as you said, Jay, we're going to put everything into this movie. Uh, we're going to make you laugh. We're going to make you cry. We're going to thrill you. We're going to scare you. We're going to do all this. I think, yep. I think now people are just like, we're just going to scare you. Yes. Or we're just going to make you laugh. It's sort of like the the you know the SNL joke. Like it's just like we're just going to tell that joke until <laughs> it just rerun it to the ground, and that's all we're going to do. We're not going to strive to do anything more than that. Um, and and yeah, I mean, it takes skill it to do what they did back then. And I think, I mean, I hate to sound like an old man, but I think back <laughs> then that you that you just had more skilled people making movies. Yeah. I think you did. I think you had you had I think you had skilled people making movies that were really in tune with the culture and what people wanted to see. Right. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, you know, it wasn't just, oh, we're going to make a film just for us. It was also let's keep the audience in mind here um, and deliver something that was really, really fun. Right. I think you do get when you get movies that feature multiple emotions, mm -hmm. a lot of times you get movies that like the tonal shifts are just sporadic i think that the, yeah. the best example contemporary example of this is like guardians of the galaxy volume three right mm. great emotions depicted in that but man they swing from one emotion to the other in that film. oh fast yeah and within the same like, like five minutes yeah yeah in the same five minutes yeah it's just it's just crazy in that in that film whereas you have scenes in here that are like you know very powerful and moving and they let them breathe a little bit i think the best one of the best examples of this is uh when he's setting up the when he's setting up the staff of Raw, right, and yeah. you, you get a little comedy there with 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 um, with Sala, even that's kind of dimmed down a little bit. There was supposed to be more that was cut out, but mm. but they really let that scene play and be as powerful as it is, and it's like wow, now now the the you, the arc has its own weight added to this. We haven't really seen much of that, yeah. except for that uh, uh, you know expository scene in in, in the beginning. But yeah. now it's like, okay, this is real. This is something. By the way, it also features one of my <laughs> my favorite movie mistakes, right? So the staff of Raw is it, on, on the medallion is supposed to be, what is it, 72 inches, right? Yeah. Uh, six Kadam height. And then you, you know, the, the, the twist is that on the back, you take off one Kadam to honor the Hebrew God. Right. Well, that makes it now five feet, right? It's five feet that that staff is supposed to right. be. Right, right. <laughs> well, 
It's still over his head. Right, it's over his head. That makes him what four feet high, like, and we yeah. know Harrison four to six feet. So that it's one of my favorites right there. But outside of that, that's just that, that powerful sequence, or or you have that uh, kind of love scene that plays out between Mary and Indy, kind of dotted throughout the film, which is quite nice. Um, mm. But there's definitely a sense of adventure. The sense, the the emotions present in this kind of thing, yeah, they're they're very fun, and they handle those tonal shifts. I thought, I thought quite well. Yeah, one of the things. Um, so for those of you who are listening to the podcast, the audio version, um, at the at the at the end, Mike and I are going to spend some time talking about what writers and storytellers can learn from this film. And Dre, you just brought up one of the points that I'm I'm going to make, and I'll get into how and why. But just to quickly quickly tack onto what you said, the pacing in this film is a work of art unto itself. Um, you can have an expository scene. You can draw out certain moments. Um, I think that there's two things um, that you each brought up that films are pressured to do today that is perhaps undue pressure on a creative person. One is you, we live in a TikTok generation. And if there is if there is not something happening that is enticing you to not look away from your phone, you're probably checking it during a movie, right? Like um, as much as I hate to say that, I still do that myself. Uh, so I have to be very engrossed in the movie. In fact, sometimes I like to just not have my phone on me because I want to be able to see what's going on. The other thing though, is that the 1980s had far more of a monoculture than we see today. Not that there were not subcultures that didn't exist in the 80s. There for sure were, but those subcultures were a little um, smaller. And what the internet has allowed us to do is be able to find people who are in our subculture. And so then we, we can find places where we go, our subculture, we saw it with the start with Star Wars because we saw the Raylos. The Raylos were a, were a subculture, and the Raylos were like, if this doesn't happen in these films, I hate it. Right now, mm. now that's maybe a little harsh. Not all Raylos would say it that that boldly, but they really wanted the whole Ray and Kylo Ren relationship to happen. That creates a that creates a subculture that then is displeased with whatever the result is and you you would have had people back in the day when we had more of a monoculture that would have said well i would have preferred it if it would have ended this way or gone this way but they didn't found groups about it because they didn't know that there are other people that existed that felt that same way and sure. so the creatives didn't feel i don't think felt the same amount of pressure it, it applies to it applies to ethnicity it applies to um, country of origin and what those sub subcultures would want to see in a movie. It applies to um, uh, socioeconomic, uh, any way you can divide the country can be divided into a subculture effectively. Sure. Right. And so we didn't have the creatives of that time. were not worried as much about that because they were primarily creating film for the monoculture of America at that time. And it was a little bit more um, consistent. And I think that a lot of times what we see today is it's there's a lot of pressure to include lots of different elements and once you start including lots of different elements you tend to start to swing toward a specific subculture and by definition you may cut out other subcultures and so they didn't have that kind of pressure um but yeah what that's a fun discussion because uh i think that that's a it's really interesting to look at it and go like wow I grew up in the eighties. You grew up in the nineties. Uh, Mike, it sounds like you grew up in the seventies. So like we all have, 80s, this, yeah. 
yeah, three decades of people growing up at different times that all go, this was amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just pretty cool. Um, so here, here's uh, one that hit me this time around. Um, I love the introduction of each character uh, that, that is displayed in this film. So, um, Mike, which character introduction is your favorite and why? Everything is done so well and so skilled. I mean, it's hard for me to argue that, the, again, with the opening sequence, that the way we get to meet Indiana Jones is not one of the best introductions of a character of all time, especially if you're, I mean, you are basically setting up, I'm going to start a franchise with this guy. I mean, you you really figure, like, you find, like, the way it's, he's introduced, it's like, it's like, should I know who this guy is? Because the way that they're building it, it's like this big return of a major figure. And it's, it's one that's new and which is amazing. So it's hard for me to argue with it against that, but I will because man, I love Marion's uh, introduction. Mm -hmm. You don't get back then. And even today, you don't get introductions to uh, the, the sort of the love interest, the female, the femme fatale character. You don't get those as well uh, introduced as she is. She's tough as nails. Uh, the, and the extension of that is when, uh, she and India reunited and that shot so beautifully with the shadow of him uh, when he enters and her reaction. It's just stunning. And I don't know if I've ever seen since or before any introduction to any sort of love interest, female character, whatever you want to call it, uh, better done than that. Mm. Mm. <laughs> beautifully said. What about you, Dre? What do you think? What's your favorite character introduction? here? Yeah, Ma Marion's great because... Man, she's just she's a very dynamic character. You know, we, we get these kind of cookie cutter, strong, independent female characters now. But there's a there's layers with Marion and it's depicted throughout the entire film, but definitely eloquently, beautifully set up uh, with her with her with her introduction. And honestly, I think that's I think that's the scene they chose to test the um, the various female actors, or actresses, I should say, mm. that 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 uh, audition for the role. Right, that that was the sequence because you had to get that right, yeah. um, and that chemistry had to be, you know, in two seconds right there. Um, I, I think I think it's just just beautifully done, one of the best setups ever for sure. I, but I gotta go back to Andy, man. The, the, the Indiana <laughs> I mean, Jones. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't argue with you. <laughs> right, the introductory, the introductory, the introduction for that character was done so well. Like you said. Uh, there when, when it came to setting up you know indy and, and this kind of established character right we've seen the kind of hero's journey by that point with with luke skywalker and you know he he he, he becomes a hero but you know he has a, he has kind of a an, an origin that we follow along with in this character with indiana jones he's he's already set up to be like you know a guy that you know you should take seriously and and uh in in a, in a time period where you have kind of I guess edgy heroes. Um, they, 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 he definitely has that edge, but he has some good qualities that define him as a character that's so relatable throughout the piece. But just setting him up with the whole, you know, the guy tries to kill him with a gun, he hears it, whips him, you know, that sets up so much, right? First of all, he's an absolute badass right there. Second of all, you know, people want to kill him, and he is hanging out with these kind of these kind of underground cats right here. So it, it says something about that how he uh 
and it goes with his companion who's very very scared going to this temple and he kind of handles it and the way he handles it also we get introductions to not only belloc within that within that same time period nope. it's about 10 minutes into the film i mean literally when the guy you know with the darkness back has fallen down i think it's 10 minutes at that point which is very interesting uh but uh but but we also get an introduction to forrester you know everybody for, everybody forgets his competition <laughs> there <laughs> uh but it, it says something it says something also about indy's character and you know with the with the whole light and and how he kind of he kind of makes his way through the temple and then finally when he sees the idol you know push them aside it's like this one scares me kind of thing yeah. it's like oh this is a kind of a big defining moment for this character and you're just you're in at that point you're you're ready to to jump into any adventures that he's willing to jump into from that point on i think it's probably the best character introduction ever that's a good point there this established character that have we seen him before in film because he's they're definitely making him out to be this kind of big guy i think the closest analogy to that in our contemporary you know, cinematic experience is probably John Wick, right? Mm. How they have, you know, but that's drawn out to the course of the entire film. Yeah. Uh, whereas this, you know, in about that first 10 minutes, mm. you get everything that, you, that you're going to get with Indiana Jones and more. So I think just brilliantly, brilliantly done. Yeah. The, the, I'm going to pick up on a couple other introductions that I really enjoy. Um, but then I'll get back to, you know, Indy and Marion are, are best, basically the two that are just premier. Um, and that is, w- you mentioned Belloc and Belloc shows up. And the first thing that we see is that he's never been on screen and Indy comes out. He's been successful. He's almost died several times in the last <laughs> few minutes. And then Belloc is just sitting there in a pristine white suit. You get the impression that he has not worked an ounce in his life. And he looks at Indiana Jones and he goes, once again, we've proven that there's not one item you can't get that I can't take away from you. Right. And so (laughs) it's like, that is just so mind blowingly good. Um, And he's got the whole, he's got all of the, of the locals behind him in that scene. If only Um, you spoke Javitos. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. If only. Yeah, and for a guy who's renowned for speaking different languages, too. So it's like the one he doesn't know. Oh, that's just so, so good. So I love that character introduction as well because it sets up so much about it sets up so much about who these characters are. First of all, he's um, either French or Belgian. I'm not sure. I think he's French. Um, and Indy is American. And so Indy's the guy that is doing all of this, his own, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. But then the French guy comes in and is like, I'm going to use the Germans of ill repute and the natives that don't know that you're the good guy. Cause I'm going to steal this from you. you know, like the whole way that that is the whole way that that is portrayed is phenomenal. Um, the other introduction that I think is so uh, subtly terrifying is uh, we're, we're trying to avoid the, the word for the party of Germans that took over because we don't want any issues with YouTube. But for the other for the for the main German character who gets the um, the uh, I, oh, the what's, yes, yes. The, the way that he what, what is that called? The, the staff of raw, the top of the staff, the of medallion. Yeah, yeah the, the medallion. Uh... The, I was going to say the one that he, he gets that burned into his hand, the way he is introduced is so terrifying as well because we know that he's on we know that he's on the airplane um with indy when indy starts to head out but we don't really get an introduction to him so much as we know that indy's being followed by somebody 
But then when we see him, his Indy's already left, and we know Marion's by herself, which is now terrifying because we know she's tough, but she's by herself in the middle of nowhere, and, and we know that this guy is following Indy, and then he shows up in her place, and, it's, and, he, and he gives the whole, the whole Heil salute, and it's like, oh, my gosh, this is much deeper and worse than I expected. And they play on that, too, because this guy who's like really kind of a scary dude who has done some pretty awful things even up to that point. They play on that a little bit with the whole hanger gag, which I think is just phenomenal. It's so good. Plays every time. Even in the theater, I was watching this in last year, the whole room laughed and it's just like. That's it, right? Oh, there. it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. So I will say that those all those introductions are phenomenal. Um, it's really interesting that we don't see the head of the German party even once, even though he is one of the main villains of this movie, um, which is really fascinating. Um, we'll, we'll see him soon, though. We'll, we'll see. see him eventually, yeah. <laughs> well, I, we actually get to see him in in my wife's. She laughed so hard when that scene when that scene. <laughs> she, she sees that scene so funny. I'm like, yeah, it's true. It's really funny. Um, <laughs> But uh, the I would I would have to say, if Indiana Jones is the best character introduction of all time, which I'm willing to I'm willing to go along with that statement, um, then I think that Marion is maybe number two because because to see first of all, there is a lady who doesn't belong in that area. We know it's very far away from where Indy is. Um, and what she's doing is having a drinking contest. And by the way, if you ever see um, the behind the scenes of Spielberg directing that scene, he is being meticulous. Like he's like, no, 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 turn it over and then wait. And now slam. Like, it's crazy. Um, and the fact that she plays with the guy, she's in control the whole time, but we don't know it because we think that when we first see her, she's going to have to give up before the guy, but then he t- falls over backwards and it, it makes everybody upset. Um, and then the fact that uh, when she starts interacting with Indiana Jones, one of the first things she does is punch him in the face. The guy yeah. that we know is one of the toughest guys around at this point. Um, I mean, all of that serves to set up a character who is, and I'm not sure that we see another character in Indiana Jones that fits this profile, but is as is as much worthy of being in his space as he is. Yeah. Right. Like, like you can take Marcus Brody, you can take now it works again with Henry senior because they brought in uh, Sean Connery. And that's amazing. Amazing casting. Oh but the fact that they go Indiana Jones, if he's going to go head to head with anybody that it has to be a person that we all assume can go head to head with him. And there are not a lot of people who you can cast in that role because they've, they've portrayed to us how amazing of a character he is, but but um, Karen Allen as Marion can go toe to toe with him every step of the way, and it works perfectly. So, uh, so in the introduction, I think you could argue that it doesn't play out as well as it could have based on the introduction. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, I mean, she does get relegated to your typical screaming lady uh, more than a few times in the rest of the movie, which is That's unfortunate fair. because she starts off so strong. Absolutely. That's a really good point. Cause yeah, there, it, it, even him having to tell her to close her eyes is a little bit pejorative in that moment. Um, and the fact that they put her in a nice dress and then just wear the nice dress the whole time. That, yeah, you're right. There's some, there is some there that is, eh, it's maybe not. And, and that is something we'll get into in a future show 
is the characterization of of female characters in in light of Indiana Jones because that is one of the easier things to point at to say oh, that's kind of weaker on that that side of it. Well, you know, it's also the 1930s, right? And oh, yeah. and <laughs> you know the 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 independent. You know, the, the, like, I I kind of get it. I kind of get what they were doing there, and think about the people who are putting her in those positions. They're bad, right? They're they're right. not good people. So. I can kind of, you know, let it slide just a little bit. I think there's also a, a, a very um, a rich feminine vulnerability there. I think that is 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 preserved. Uh, that 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 I, I think maintains the stakes of what's of what's going on there. Eh, she just get caught in the cockpit. Okay, all right, yeah, it's, it's, it's not great, but but <laughs> but but it, even it ratchets up the tension intention that scene. She's kind of the fish out of the water character in a lot of that. Uh, that 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 creates a, a resonance with the with the audience, a relatability with the audience, which I think is good, you know. And she's a good foil for the kind of grizzled veteran that is Harrison Ford. So I, I think could it could it have been handled better? Obviously, but I think you you have to have that character present, and I think she plays that well. And I think by the end of it, you still feel that she's a very a very very capable woman. Yeah. Uh, w- w- without question, and uh, um, hey, you had to have you had to tell somebody to keep their eyes closed. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. I have one more question for us, but one of the things that um, I forgot to bring up in the if it felt like it was a um, part of the seventies and eighties or not, um, this is widely known at this point. But uh, Tom Selleck was originally going to be cast in the role yes. of Indy. I don't know if it would feel as timeless if that had happened because Tom Selleck was very much a, a heartthrob of the eighties, right? Like in, in his, it, yeah. yeah. his role as Magnum PI, not that he didn't have, he had, he has a long and illustrious career, but he was, you know, between Magnum PI and the quickly down under series and some of these things, he was uh, the, he very much, I think that if they had cast him, as as indie it would have felt a little bit more like james bond and a little less like a an original new kind of character just because we already saw him as the suave guy i don't see him having the little uh like like as magnum pi does he run into issues and stuff like that yes he does but he very rarely magnum pi the show might treat that as like a comedic moment but very rarely does Tom Selleck, he's always cool. In, in this, Harrison Ford does this amazing thing where he turns on the cool, coolness and turns off the coolness. And it's almost because he doesn't care if he's cool. You, you were never, he never seems to be trying to be cool. But it'd be very hard to convince me that Tom Selleck was not trying to be cool at all times. And by the way, I'm not saying that Tom Selleck, that's better or worse. I'm just saying for this role, very it different. seems like Harris. Yeah, exactly. It's very, yeah, very different. Yeah. So it, it, how do you it, feel about that? No, I, uh, I, I, yeah, I think we dodged a, all dodged a bullet there uh, with that not working out. Uh, I mean, no offense to Tom Selleck, but like you're right, I think Harrison Ford brings in everyman quality to indiana yeah. jones that everybody yeah. can instantly relate to it's the difference between like if you want to go back old school golden age of hollywood it's the difference between like bogart doing a role and Cary grant yes. like uh like yeah tom Great selleck comparison. is definitely more of the t- the Cary grant type of uh guy um and and bogart i mean there's been so many comparisons to you know harrison ford and bogart they've even played 
the same character in remakes and whatnot. So, uh, you know, it, it, there's a it, it's very similar vibe there that you get from both of them where they they're so like every man. Yeah. There were some screen tests done with Tom Selleck and I believe Karen Allen. And mm. it if you've ever seen those, it's just there's a different flavor there. Yeah. You know, it's 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 something. But there's it's just a different flavor. I, I, I liken it almost to uh who they were gonna have play with Michael J. Fox. Sorry, I can't remember the actor's name off the top of Oh, head, Eric Schultz. Yeah, Eric Schultz uh for Marty McFly and Back to the Future. Mm. You know, if you ever seen those, it's like, okay, I can see what they were going for here, but definitely a different take on this on this yeah. character. And I yeah. think the same exists here. By the way, one of my favorite jokes in animation ever is uh Chippendale Rescue Rangers and how they <laughs> depict Chip in that as, you know, uh Harrison Ford from Indiana Jones and Tom Selleck from BI oh, as a reference genius. to that original casting. Yep. Yes. I yeah. always yeah. thought that was awesome. <laughs> that's, that's great yeah that's perfect all right so i got the last question um last question here for the for the story geek show and then um if you're listening to the audio version so if you listen to the story geek show by the way and you want to go listen to mike and i talk about um how writer what writers and storytellers can learn from this film you can just fast forward through to the end because obviously you don't want to watch this or listen twice why not listen twice you can do that too Ooh, um twice. yeah why not uh so question six here my last question for for um the story geek show george lucas and steven spielberg chose and we kind of referenced this earlier but they chose a popular religious artifact that two world religions see as grounded in important spiritual relevance the ark of the covenant um, now i'm going to paraphrase here but the ark was meant to be a place where israelites could meet with god um that is a bold artifact to put in a film we talked about the spiritual component of this a little bit but let's focus a little bit more in on the ark what do you think about the inclusion of the ark and how does the how does the film's depiction impact your personal concept of what the ark was and then how do you think that played for general audiences i know it's a complex question but i really want to get into this this we just created a film about the ark of the covenant which the Jewish people of Jewish faith and Christian faith believe that God met with the Jewish people with that artifact so i'm just wondering how raiders kind of adds to the lore surrounding the Ark of the Covenant. So what do you think, Dre? What do you, where do you, how does this shape the, our understanding of that artifact? I think it shapes it quite well. I mean, I, I don't know how much emphasis uh, is placed uh, in, you know, the kind of uh, modern atheistic religions or, or, yeah. or uh, Judeo-Christian uh schools and so, i mean he, he says hey didn't you ever go to sunday school you know <laughs> right. uh, kind of i mean that's kind of for the audience right because i don't think a lot of people were necessarily super familiar with it uh, before uh this film right here but it's it's a definitely a really interesting depiction of it and it, it's not i wouldn't say horribly accurate at least <laughs> at least in my perception of the arc going through uh some of the judeo-christian texts and so forth I guess it was it was it was almost like a traveling temple that the Israelites would have, um, uh, you know, when uh, when they left Egypt, and so uh, and, and it's supposed to have great power, great significance, for sure. Um, and uh, I, you know, there there was an aspect to it where if anybody touched it, they'd instantly perish, which I don't think is depicted so much in, in <laughs> right. uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That would be a that'd be an interesting story point to kind of get, a, get get through there. But uh, but 
uh, yeah, I think I think it has I think it has influenced certainly many people's ideas of the of the arc in its mm. in its own way. Um, I, but but you know they they have such they have they have like um like I, like I was saying before with the with the exposition piece in 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 the front of that movie where he's talking about it and you see the power of it right and it's like ooh this is interesting and and how I love how they 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 brought in the fact that that the lead of this uh, <laughs> Germans of ill repute was interested in kind of these uh, relics and so forth. Yeah. Like that was a real thing. We don't mm-hmm. actually see this again until probably what Captain America <laughs> is probably the first, if probably the, the next time we see um, this gentleman's uh, 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 obsession with these kind of relics and artifacts, religious artifacts and so forth. So I love how that's the kind of whole depicted and how he kind of wants it for himself. Um, and then the way I think Belloc takes to it, right? Because because mm. Harrison's kind of indifferent to it, totally. whereas whereas Belloc is very much like, hey, you know, this is like, this a, this a, a gateway, a radio to God, yeah. you know, that kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. And it's like, wow, that's a really interesting kind of way of doing it right there. And of course, he gets his come up into the very end. So I think it definitely it definitely has influenced. Uh, look. I think a lot of people believe that if you open the ark, <laughs> your face might melt off. So that's an interesting idea. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I even love the way that Belloc says "radio." A radio. It's like, right. like, really I'm rolls radio. the arm. Like, speaking to gold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Beautiful. What do you think, Mike? How do you think that this is? Um, what do you think about part of the reason that I think this 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 topic is fascinating is because. Some movies have, like, let's say, Crystal Skull. Let's be let's be realistic. Have lived or died upon the paranormal supernatural thing that they chose, and people just went, "I'm not going along with that." Right. right. But um, so, so, what do you think about this? How, how does this? How does Raiders kind of shape our understanding of the arc and how, how that works? I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't know if it's because I was only 12 or 13 when this came out or the secular nature of where I grew up or whatever, but I had no clue before this movie came out what the Ark of the Covenant was. Uh, In fact, it was highly regarded by many people I knew at the time uh, that our first thought when we hear Ark is Noah, right? Oh, yeah. Um, And so I think having that exposition scene at the beginning was really educational really helpful for everybody going to see this movie yeah um definitely an interesting choice uh my the way i understand it is is that uh before spielberg got involved in the project uh this was one this is a project that george wanted to make with uh uh, writer and director philip kaufman Mm. they created the character together of indiana jones and it was philip kaufman who came up with the idea first he wanted to they they needed something i think uh george just wanted something occultish right Ah. and philip's idea first idea was the spear of destiny uh because that's that's what famously i think uh you know the head of that party (laughs) the main big bad of uh, world war ii was really looking for and he, oh. he got it from you what just, i understand right i think well it depends on what you he, believe that's, uh, that's another <laughs> <book>. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting but, one right there but um uh so 
so that was that was a big key so um and for whatever reason they decided not to use that mm. and instead uh the most powerful uh christian symbol that kaufman could think of and i do believe that he is jewish um mm. was the ark of the covenant and i i think looking back on it now and even at the time uh, it was brilliant move because it was something that a lot of us weren't familiar with yeah um and so you had the flexibility to take some liberties with the origin and with the, how everything works and everything like that. Um, but it also, you know, uh, was uh, educational for a lot of us cause we had no idea what it was. Um, mm. So, um, and I think since then, I think this movie, if anybody does know what the Ark of the Covenant is, I think it's because of this movie. From this movie. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. And, and, yeah. and even at that time, there was a mystery around the Ark, right? Like, where'd it go, oh, yeah. you know? And yeah. there there mm -hmm. have been some tribes out there that have claimed that they have it and they don't show it to anybody. It's like, okay. But <laughs> but there, there's a mystery there of like, where where did it go? And the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark title, it plays into that for sure. Mm -hmm. But all, but but it's, it's just a great approach because like you said, it's it's not something that's super familiar with everybody, so you can you can kind of play with that a little bit, and it's not like super obvious. Like I think I think the Holy Grail is a little obvious as you oh, first absolutely. out. It absolutely. works, I think, in Last Crusade. But it, it does work in the third here. movie. You don't want to bring that up in the first movie, but exactly. And the other thing about it too is that it's 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 based in reality, and it's I mean even if you look at the actual lore behind it, it is very powerful. Yes. Um, it is amazing that that hasn't been brought up prior to this movie because it's one of those <laughs> artifacts that, or it's one of those things, those legends that's like, wow, this thing is is has tremendous power associated with it. How am I just hearing about it now? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I totally agree with both of you. And I think that it was like it's almost kind of its own little, you know, it's. The, again, these are such collaborative projects that it's another lucky thing. It's like it's like not that it, not that it was was not thought about and planned out, and I'm not saying that, but just the fact that they they included this when you start to pull all of the pieces in, you're like, yeah, there's a certain amount of luck here that you just could not replicate because it's just they chose the right artifact, they chose the right actor, they chose the right setting, they chose the I mean all of it, um, and I think that one of the ways that it works really well too is that based on my um, understanding of what the arc was, um, at least as how it's taught, uh, there's only two things that I think you could probably make an argument were um, maybe pushed into the bounds of like, well, that's not in any of the material that this is based on. And those two things are, um when he when they're looking at the actual uh art in the bible and he's like see here the beams coming out of the the power of god right like that's probably nowhere in any sort of lore or writings about the ark of the covenant um now that's coming from indiana jones who's again a skeptic not a believer right so he's just saying like well this is one of the depictions and in, in this artwork that's how it's depicted um however kind of power of god or something yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm beginning and... to see his interest in this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh yeah, we could go. Absolutely. We could do a whole podcast on just that scene. By the oh, way, yeah, so well oh, done. So just well the done. fact that they have Porkins is in that scene. Oh right, yeah, yeah, sure. the, It's just amazing. Um, 
but I think that so that's one thing that's probably uh, extracurricular you call it right um, the other thing is because I think uh, Dre one of the things that's really interesting is it was if 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 one of the um, uh, if it wasn't a priest that touched the ark then yes they would die right right but yeah, but like, notice yeah, that's, that's accurate yeah. notice that like Indy and Sala put the wooden they don't dowels through and mm. they don't touch it and right. it's not actually touched physically until they remove the lid and then he reaches his hand in to come up with all the sand which we assume would be the tablets right the ten commandments um having withered away into just dust is what i'm assuming they're implying so the only other thing that the only other piece of the lore that may be extracurricular is that when they open it up there's these spiritual beings of some sort that Mm -hmm. then take vengeance upon now now that is a special effect where now we're seeing this the beams again right because the beams actually shoot out into all the um germans of ill repute that are standing there on the ark um and so that that is a callback to what indy said about the picture and so they're kind of just displaying the picture there to a degree but what i found fascinating is that i think that if you watch that film i have to now of course i'm 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 speaking from a um a christ follower's perspective not a Jewish person of the jewish faith but i don't see this as being so out of alignment with what um, yeah. with what would have been something that we would have said may have been true that yeah. you would be like, ah, just, I, I, I refuse to even be in the, in the vicinity right. of it, you know? And that's a, dis- uh, that's a distinct quality because you can't necessarily, you don't want to offend anybody. Right. So exactly. It, I think it's exactly. done just to the degree where it's like they play with it for cinematic purposes, but it's, it's still impactful. And Jesus, that score. Oh, <laughs> oh just, my gosh. You know, get yourself a good sound system, folks, and turn that up on that scene. Oh, man. Oh. It's just, it's, it's strange. I, uh, yeah. I also think that it's set up story wise, too, because it's really the first, it's not the first, like if they just wait, waited until the very last scene to show something supernatural like that, um, it would have been like, oh, well, this is kind of like, uh, you know, out of nowhere, whatever. That's convenient. But the scene uh, where it's on the boat and it it, it sort of burns through the symbol and the brats are going crazy. I mean, it tells us right there that there's something really powerful Mm -hmm. in there that that is unworld uh, otherworldly. Yes. Well, and also too the uh, even when they're 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 decoding the staff of Ra, you see the wind come in, the chimes <laughs> yes, going. It's like, oh, that's a little weird. That's a little strange. <laughs> so there's some foreshadowing there, like you said, that just yeah. sets it up unbelievably. Little beautiful. piece by little piece, so that when it, it when it's finally really you know bit there at the end, where it doesn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. And and to tack on a little bit more to the foreshadowing, which again is brilliance. It's just absolute brilliance. Even the scene where Marion is left alone when we've introduced her, he films the beginning of that scene as if it's has a paranormal element to it because the doors are all closed, but the wind whips through, it takes right. out the candle. Yep, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and we see her grab the actual um, head of the staff. So they're building in this, this idea that there is a paranormal component to this thing. Notice that that's the. I think that that's actually probably one of the first things where we where we see evidence of it. Because right. before that, we, the only thing that we see is that we see uh, in in South America we see the guy see the symbol on the wall and freaks out. Right? Isn't that doesn't that happen? Or is that am I thinking of Temple of Doom? 
Does it happen in both places? Um, well, the 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 two guides uh, run across like uh, the, some the statue, yeah, yes. some statue, and they yes. like a bunch of them flee, and exactly. they are, yeah, one of them flee, like all the underlings flee or whatever. And then, of course, when uh, Belloc raises the the idol, they all like you know bow. Yeah, uh, and it, those things can all be interpreted as indie being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. These are just the yeah. the the people that don't understand what I understand. Right. And so right. it's when we transition into now he's chasing something that actually has more that he's that he's not going to be able to deny. So it's not to say that the fertility idol wasn't something, but he's been able to excuse the any kind of spiritual components to it until we start we start to see those things even before he does, which makes mm -hmm. the moment even better. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's yeah, I think that that's uh, just phenomenal. Um, so we'll go ahead and close out this portion of the show. Uh, I could not ask to have two people talk about this with me that would I would have not enjoyed more. So thank you guys for joining me. Um, amazing. Yeah, it's been a really good time. Mike and I, uh, we're going to go ahead and do our outros, but then stay tuned to the podcast version because Mike and I are going to talk a little bit more about writing and storytelling related to Raiders. Uh, but Dre, why don't you close us out? What, tell, tell people where they can find you and what you're up to. The uh, yeah, what I'm up to? What am I not up to, man? There's there's, <laughs> there's so much here. But if you want to uh, keep track of that story, you can go to at uh, Bash on Twitter. It's right down there. Just go ahead, type it in, and it should pop up for as uh well i i can't do it now because now she's she's out but there's more to that story i think if in yeah. christine way sons mccarthy we'll, we'll get into that but if you <laughs> want to hear my initial thoughts on that whole situation and more uh you can definitely find us at orange cove 55 for sure we have some amazing shows including the, the one you're watching right now story gigs with jay talking about the stories that impact our lives for sure uh citrus corner with our Dear, dear, dear friend George, we talk about everything Walt Disney World related, and Orange Grove 55 and Orange Nerd, hosted by OG himself, where we talk about everything related to the entertainment industry. It is a fascinating time, folks. Uh, a very transitional time, for sure. So if you want to go ahead and subscribe to that, including my own show, Freshly Squeezed, your source for juice news and info, squeezed fresh right from the Grove, go ahead and hit that subscribe button for sure. <laughs> Uh, every time I hear those things, they make me so nostalgic. It, I can't oh, help right. it. I've heard it so many times, and it still makes me nostalgic. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, fantastic. Mike Gordon, uh, tell the folks for this. I an audio cue. I'm sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. I got you. Don't even worry. I got you. <laughs> Where can people find you, Mike, and what are you up to? Well, first of all, thanks again for the invite. It's always great chatting with you, Jay, especially about my favorite movie. I could go on and on. So I appreciate that. Uh, Dre, it was nice meeting you as well, chatting alongside you. That was great. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, if you want to hear me prattle on some more, uh, you can hear me twice a week on Earth Station One. Uh, we are available on all the podcasting platforms and on YouTube. We actually have a YouTube channel and you can see our shows on YouTube every twice a week as well. Uh, and then, of course, if you want to look up uh, any of the projects that I'm working on, any of the books that I've done, Tiki Zombie is a big one, of course. Um, and uh, you can find out all of that. Just go to newlegendmike.com or tikizombie.net. Awesome. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Definitely go check all of those things out for sure. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at Jay Shear. I'm not as active on Twitter as I used to be because... I don't know that Twitter is helping anybody out in their life, <laughs> uh, but but every once in a while you'll find me on Twitter. But you can also find me right here on uh, Orange Grove 55's network doing how uh, how the Story Geeks show. 
Um, I'm also have I also have a podcast called How Stories Work that is um, audio only. There is a YouTube channel. I will sometimes put content out there as well, um, and that's what Mike and I are going to continue as we continue to talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark and the impact that it has for writers and storytellers and what we can learn from it. That's a little bit more about what How Stories Work is about. But How Stories Work also has our original stories or original films. We are currently in the process of producing another short film. Um, and it is, it, it's been going really, really well. And I've been really excited about it. So if you want to support that short film, um, we actually are fully funded for the film, but I, there's a couple other things that I would like to upgrade. So if you'd like to support us over there, you can support us on Indiegogo. Just check out one of the links on the house stories work channel and you can find us over there. And, uh, it should be really fun to get that one filmed and out to everybody. So Again, guys, fantastic conversation. I'm sure that we could do three or four shows just like this and <laughs> have a great time. Um, but we'll close it out right there. And uh, I appreciate you guys both joining me. Um, all right, Mike. So let's get into the second half of the uh, second half. No, we, I won't keep you that long. <laughs> That'll be, it'll be uh, tomorrow, but it's not finished. Um, let's get into uh, this tack on section that I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to talk about. We, so many people talk about this being the best film in film history. Um, not just you and me, but like this is a common th thought process for a lot of people. And yet I've heard professional screenwriters say things like, yeah, I mean, technically a lot of screenwriting advice would tell you not to do some of the things that we actually see in this film. So... Um, I just I, I didn't I didn't I don't have any specific questions for us, but what are some of the things that you would draw out about what writers and storytellers could learn from this film? Um, and I've got some things that we can talk about too. But what are some of the things that you would say? Yeah, these are things that we should pay special attention to as writers and storytellers because they could be impactful to our stories. I mean, I've I've learned so much about not just watching the movie, but the making of this movie. Um, I would say, as I mentioned, you know earlier in the show that uh that star wars opened my eyes to the potential of storytelling uh, on a motion picture level um but raiders really really touched me to the point where i was like i want to do this mm. uh i want to learn everything i can about how this was made uh i you know i bought the i bought the novel right away the making of raiders of lost ark i i bought the you know the, <laughs> you're too young but man i bought I, this is before like video cassettes really were coming out in, in an affordable way i mean i bought the movie on on beta and then right mm -hmm. away i also bought like the making of and the great stunts of of the movie and everything like that i mean i couldn't get enough of of wanting to know how this was made and and how we could apply it now uh uh, my cousin and I were uh, we grew up because of this movie and, and others around it, but mainly this movie. We had a love for this movie and we had a love for wanting to make movies ourselves. Mm. We actually made three fan film uh, yes. Indiana Jones fan films. Nice. Uh, so I have direct experience on, <laughs> on how difficult it is to make one of these movies. Uh, and uh, it is, but it's, but I mean, that's, you look at the template, you know, and, and you try to apply it. Right. Mm. And yes, I know that um, in a lot of ways, as you said, the reputation of this movie is uh, a little suspect. Um, you know, I think 
I think the greatest screenplay of all time is, uh, I think you, you, you covered it uh, earlier this year, right? Chinatown is, is what's yep. Broad, yep. regarded yep. Right, as the, uh, and, you know, guy wears a fedora in that too, so it's not that. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Uh, it only takes place like a few years after this, I think. Uh, the time <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, um, and I can remember really early on, uh, a friend of mine, after watching this movie, uh, said that they felt it was very contrived. And mm. I got real. I still am really defensive about that. Mm. Um, I I understand what he means. There are certain things that happen here because they need to happen, ah. um, script wise. And so I think there's a lot of things that sort of distract you from mm. that. Uh, at least if you are, you know, if you fall for them. Uh, things like the the character moments and the action pieces and everything like that. You're having such a good time. You don't care if it if it everything connects the way um, you know it might sh it should. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't notice exactly like we mentioned before about how Marion's role is kind of diminished as the movie goes on. Um, at least her agency, anyway. Right. Um, and and things of that nature. Um, and yeah, there are certain things that that have to ha that happen because they need to. And yes, that is, uh, but you learn that. I mean, you, and you learn, obviously, uh, more importantly, you learn that, okay, well, if I do have a script that's like that, or if I do one, I can, if I'm making something, if I, I think it, that's where I've really learned about characterizations and how important that is, because that's the one thing about Raiders of the Lost Ark is every single character is well-developed. Mm. I mean, we mentioned the exposition scene. Yeah. In normal movies, it's just an exposition scene. But you can really read the the what's going on, the dynamics between the two U.S. agents, between uh, Indiana and 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 Marcus, and the four of them as they're talking, and they have like there's things that are going on all between all four of them that are really interesting that make that compel you through that scene. It's not just dry text, and that's just like that's just filmmaking 101. That's Stephen. And, 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 uh, uh, who's the guy who wrote this, the, the, the credit with the screenplay? Um, uh, oh yeah. The guy that did, uh, Empire, right. Empire Strikes Back. Um, uh, Kasdan. Kasdan, right. Yeah. Brilliant guy. Um, doesn't get near enough credit. I think was very much lacking on any of the follow-ups to this movie. Um, and, uh, I think that that in itself makes a difference. And so you realize that, you know, you can, you could, as long as you have and develop the characters well enough, you can get through these scenes. Uh, and maybe they're not perfect, but people will, you won't lose anybody. Yeah. 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 And I think, yeah. And there's a, there's a, there's a note to be made, I think, about the larger category of pacing because so most, most films would not begin with a vignette that, that has very little to do with the rest of the film, right? Like, from that vignette, all we really learn is that Indy is an adventurer who also is searching for artifacts. Um, we learn that he's on the good side because we know he's on the good side. And this is something that people point out about um, Indiana Jones a lot. I'm sure we'll talk about this on a future podcast, but they'll say, is he really okay? Because it seems like he's kind of colonial and trying to take artifacts and put them in museums. But you'll notice that he is, when he's getting the idol, it's he's going to give it back to the to the people of that area, whereas Belloc is the one that's like, they don't know that I'm going to take it from them. They, they, they don't have any clue that I'm going to take it from them. And so there's this there's these little moments in there where 
you're learning that Indiana Jones is the good guy and that Belloc is the bad guy. And um, I think some of those things are, they're interesting because they matter to us as a film goer, but they don't matter necessarily. Well, they contribute to the overall story, but it is a different way of putting together a first act where you're like, well, the first 10 pages are going to be completely different than the rest of the, the rest of the movie. Um, and yet it works so well because the pacing is correct in it. Um, and that the characterizations, like you said, are correct in it. So as long as those characters are compelling all the way through, we're very drawn to them. Um, and then you you brought it up too. This is the same scene we were just talking about where it's an exposition dump scene. But the pacing of that scene, it's a slowly paced scene, but all of the tension and the conflict is there. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I think that um, Spielberg is kind of a masterclass at is he pushes conflict to its nth degree, almost to the point of ludicrousy, right? Like Indiana Jones just makes it through all of these, all of these different things. Um, he's saved uh, the, the guide um, in the beginning. And the guide says, you know, throw me the idol. I'll throw you the whip. And then he throws him the idol and he just drops the whip. And it's like, Oh, it, it just got worse for him. You know what I mean? It's just, and it's this really interesting thing that they're able to kind of, um, they he, Spielberg seems to know, and, and and I'm sure cast and script has it in there too. But I feel like Spielberg and the editor, who I don't know who edited this off the top of my head, but they know when to put their foot on the gas, take their foot off the gas, and put on the brakes. They just are. It's almost perfect in the way that this movie is paced all the way through. Um, I think that has to do with uh, the uh, the script as well, because the follow up movie. Temple of Doom is typically described, and I think accurately too, it's just one big roller coaster ride. Yes. Whereas Raiders seems like it's much more of an epic uh, tale. Um, there are, sure, action pieces, but then there's also character pieces. There's times where it kind of quiets down, but you're not bored. Um, and it has, you know, it's it has this epicness of, say, like a Lawrence of Arabia or something like that. Um, but it's also it's also um, a tale about somebody that, like I said, we can we can relate to. Yeah. It seems like an everyman. He's not like this big elite snob or whatever. Not like James Bond. And I think that what you were talking about before about the opening sequence that doesn't have anything to do with it. That's taken right from the James Bond James Bond template. Oh, that's and almost point. every single yeah. James Bond movie starts with a adventure that has nothing to do with anything. It's just a it's just sort of like a teaser, an appetizer to get you ready for the, <laughs> the main story, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and so this they use that to the, their example because obviously they do think of uh, both Spielberg and Lucas think of him as a more of a James Bond type, which is something that I've never really been able to reconcile with. But even though that's the origin, I've never I've always had a little trouble with that because I think he's a, he should be treated a little bit differently. But um, but the other thing about you know whether or not he's a good guy or whatever what he's doing etc cetera, etc cetera. the other thing i hear all the time is well you know if you look at raiders of the lost ark and the whole story if indiana jones is not there oh, yeah, everything yeah, yeah. plays out the way it's it would would anyway right you know the uh the germans get the ark uh they open the ark everybody <laughs> dies and you know it's left there and maybe the United States picks it up afterwards. And then it's, it's put in a museum. It's like nothing would change. Yeah. So for all this epicness of this tale, the one thing that Indiana Jones does do 
the one thing, and that's why that makes this movie so wonderfully like small in this in this regard. Despite all this epic thing that's going on with these armies and World War II on the brink, and this all this occult stuff happening, it's, it's huge ramifications for everybody involved. But the one thing that Indiana Jones does is, if he's not there, Marion's dead. And yeah. She's dead many times over. <laughs> right. um, and and uh, and that's not to say that you know she needs him. But and, you know, that's we get into her agency thing again. But still, um, his main his main purpose of being in that movie is to save Marion. And, uh, and so at the end, when they're together, it's 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 very much like he doesn't have the arc anymore, but he has Marion and yeah. everything's going to be OK. You leave the theater smiling, even though the thing's being put in a warehouse and forgotten somewhere, uh, you know, they're going down the stairs arm in arm and everything is great. Yeah. Um, until she disappears for another three movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, well, yeah, go ahead. So, but well, I, I mean, you... that's, yeah, that's just, uh, yeah, that's, that's the other thing I hear a lot too. I hear that all the time. And, and one of the things that um, I didn't learn about this concept until about three or four years ago, maybe five or six years ago, but, and I was like hitting myself in the head for not having learned about this earlier. But um, Tolkien, has uh, the concept of eucatastrophe. Eucatastrophe meaning that despite what our efforts may be to bring about the right, th the right kind of events, um, there's also this sense that the world or God or uh, uh, fate or whatever will still bring about a certain outcome. And eucatastrophe in stories is i think so i think we resonate so well with it because if you're a spiritual person you go okay i can see a concept of god and like that because i kind of get that but even if you're not the world is a very chaotic place but some things seem to to flow uh very smoothly and some things that turn out in our favor right and so it's, this concept of you catastrophe is not just a spiritual concept in my opinion but it is kind of like an overarching way of like yeah life does continue to go on and, and or as uh, as uh, as uh, Jeff Goldblum's character in Jurassic Park would say like life finds a way right like um, and, and in this case I think what what the U catastrophe is um, it, it Raiders of the Lost Ark does not work if the U catastrophe is not present but um, just like Sam and Frodo on their quest to throw the ring into Mount Doom, which they do not accomplish, by the way, they because Frodo hangs on to the ring and it's Gollum that actually has to grab the ring and fall in. And so there's this orchestration of events that gets us there, but it doesn't mean that human beings don't have a role to play in the events. And so you could say all day long, like, well, Indy, you've taken him out of the film. You know, I think you make a great point about Marion. But even if you said, okay, no, he doesn't, he doesn't play any role at all in the film, you go, yes, but he is specifically trying to accomplish a goal, and that gives him agency throughout. It adds conflict to the overall story throughout the course of the story. Um, and at the end, it may be more of a you catastrophe, but that does not make the story something that we can't relate to because he has agency. He is doing things. He is presenting conflict to the bad guys who want to accomplish something nefarious. And, um, and I think that that's uh, I think that those two concepts are very powerful because you can make the same argument. Well, like, well, you know, like Sam and Frodo, they didn't really do anything. And I, I guess they got it to Mount Doom, but then they failed in the end. And yet that story is so poignant for so many different reasons, right? 
um i actually think it's maybe one of the best crafted stories um, of the human experience that you could have about someone who's addicted to something who can't give it up and yet they need to to be able to solve this bigger problem uh, it was just mind-blowing and i think that that's what that's what we're kind of getting but wrapped in an adventure spirit <laughs> with raiders right? right um so it's a little less heavy maybe in the end than it is otherwise um now with the characters what are some of the things that you think because i think your, your point about characterization and we can we can tell because we had the con we had the conversation about how they were in, even introduced to us but what about the characterization stand out to you from a writing perspective well i think i think it really i mean to watch this movie and to really take it in i think uh to back uh to sort of piggyback on your point just about uh lord of the rings is that the there's a difference between story and plot mm. right and the plot of raiders of the lost ark has all to do about the arc you know the story it's just a guy trying to do his thing, trying to get things done, uh, trying to save the girl, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's a difference there. Um, the arc as powerful as it is, as impressive as it is, as cool looking as it is, is the MacGuffin. Yep. Right. It's just, it's just the thing that India is looking for and everybody else wants. And, and so the real, it comes down to Indiana Jones first and foremost as your main character, but then you have to surround him with a whole bunch of other characters, not just supporting characters, but uh, characters that oppose him. And the more work that you put into those characters, the more, the, the deeper your storytelling is going to be, the more relatable, uh, more people can, can relate to it because they can not just relate to one person, but maybe a, a few people and the conflict they're in. Um, and, and credit to Steven and the screenwriters and everybody else too, but Steven in particular is that Steven doesn't treat hmm. the quiet moments any less. He doesn't just sleep on them, right? Like he yeah. treats those just as importantly as he does like the big action set pieces, Absolutely. like that whole sequence with the wing, as we were talking about before, very elaborate, you know, took many, many, many days to shoot, et cetera, et cetera. But I guarantee you that Steven attacked that with the same passion and the same sort of uh, issues as far as where should the camera be? What should this be doing as the scene between Indiana Jones and Marion on the boat, which is one of yeah. the most quiet scenes. And yet it's so compelling and comfortable. And uh, it, it just makes us like it's just a really good feeling that a lot of people think of when they think of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it strikes me that um, as I started watching what were called the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, now called the Adventures of Young Indiana Jones. Um, because of you, I started rewatching those, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, they're, I will say this to everyone listening. They are fairly boring until you get to episode five. <laughs> Is it five or six? The, the, when, when they age Indy up. Uh, yeah. it gets considerably more exciting. The uh, when he's a, when he's a eight to ten year old, they are there's some there's some really boring moments in there. There's some there, yeah. It's yeah. There's a reason it only lasted one season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> there, there's a there's a lot to unpack there, but um, but I am enjoying rewatching it. Yeah, yeah. They are they are fun to rewatch. The one I just watched was great. Um, but the uh, the reason that that show came about was that George 
the people working on Crusade, when they flash back to younger younger Indiana Jones, they realize that George had all of these things in his head about how this character was shaped, and they went, "George, how is it? What are all the things that this character did and went through?" And George basically went. Um, I got 71 episodes of television that we could do about what I know about this character and what he experienced. Now, there's no chance that a, that a, that a, an individual would ex- would have experienced all of the things that Indiana Jones experienced in his life. I literally watched an episode where he joined Pancho Villa in Mexico and is fighting the revolution. Um, but the the point is that the storyteller, the person who says this is the kind of story that we want to tell has all of those things influencing. And that, I think, to me, is why Indiana Jones doesn't feel as much like James Bond as he could. Um, And it's not that James Bond isn't as uh, well-rounded of a character. I think he probably is. But those are the things that separate him. Because to me, I totally agree with you, he does not feel like a James Bond to me. He feels different than James Bond. Um, But... It's all of those experiences that led him to be who he is that is actually different than James. So having that backstory so solidified about about who that person is, I think is uh, is another reason those characterizations um, work so well. And I think that that uh, Lucas probably has a lot of those character characterizations for a lot of those characters, mm-hmm. which is just just phenomenal to think about is there is there a specific scene in the film that you would point out as being particularly well crafted and we've talked a lot about the exposition scene but are there any others that you'd say like wow it's a really well crafted scene it's hard for me to think of any that aren't uh, <laughs> I, know. I mean really i mean <laughs> you know so we true. talked about that we talked about how how great the opening is that whole adventure uh, and yeah. how much we learn from it and and how well it's done uh to the exposition scene to the first meeting between, or the reuniting, I should say, the reunion of uh, Indy and Marion, which is shot so well um, mm. and and given so much care. Um, to the uh, the action pieces, uh, we never even got a chance to talk about the basket scene and the yeah. and the truck and all that, which is an amazing thing in of itself. Uh, of course, everybody likes the you know the 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 uh the fun moments like the uh you know the the very famously improvised moment where Indy just shoots the the swordsman and all that um and i think that's also you know indicative to me of how indiana jones is different from james bond because i think to me james bond is somebody you watch and you're like wow i'd like to be that guy look at he's got the he's got the great cars he's got this that and the other thing he looks great he you know he's got the women everything like that whereas indiana jones is a guy like oh i i know what that feels like (laughs) (laughs) exactly i mean i'm not i'm not in that situation but you know i i've been punched in the gut by life before like that before you know like that kind of thing and and then you you know you but you carry on you try to do your best you can and you get you know knocked down again you keep getting up and you get knocked down etc etc uh, it's that truck scene like over and over and over again. Um, um, and so, yeah, I definitely think that, you know, writing wise, there's that, but, you know, uh, I, like I said, I think it really comes down to, uh, the writing and, and Steven and, and the actors too. Um, they all know when they go into a scene, what their, what their goal is, what the character is going to try to, what is, what the character is trying to do. 
and what is in their way. And, and I think that's important from a writing perspective, because when you write, you don't, you don't, you don't just put characters, you know, you should have the characters like talk to you. You should have the characters like, let you know, like, and when you try to put them in situations like I've done, you know, sometimes your characters are like, no, I, I wouldn't do that. And you're trying <laughs> right. it, but you're like, I, ha but you have to do this in order to get to this point, you know? And the, and the, the, the character is like, you're going to have to come up with something else because that just doesn't seem like something I would do. Mm -hmm. And it seems insane when you talk to people about like writing this way, but it's yeah. really how you have to uh, approach it because if the characters aren't real for you, they're certainly not going to be real for the people who are playing them or the people who are watching it. Oh, that's so true. Yeah, that's so true. One of the one of the scenes that I thought of that we did not talk about much that um, I think plays extremely well is that they this is not a love story, but yet has a love story in it that is of high quality. You would say, right? Like, I do. I do agree with you that near the end it gets a little bit um, it gets a little bit muddied because they have because this is an adventure movie not a love story so it, so it gives one character much more agency than the other one because we have to get to a place right um but the fact that um i really like the scene where uh marion puts on the dress and she's looking at it in the mirror and indy's on the other side of the mirror and he's like just like just all the things hurt everything hurts and then she flips the mirror Bam. and hits him in the face yeah <laughs> And that, that scene is played out so well, too, because there's comedy, but there's also a sense that these two characters are um, have a, a history, and that history is kind of playing itself back into more romance, but then Indiana Jones falls asleep. And so there's, there's this constant thing of where, like, Marion wants to give Indy more of her emotions, and yet Indy is incapable of receiving them very well. Um, and I think that that is, throughout that particular scene with the conflict there... Um, is particularly because James Bond, to your point, in that scene, they would have just made love. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they would have just for sure happened. But here it's like, no, nah, I mean, I've been beat up so much. I've been trying to do so many things. Like, I just am going to fall asleep, you know? James Bond doesn't have a hair out of place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Meanwhile, Andy exactly. looks like he just got, you know, put through the mill. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> and so there's that, there, there's knowing your character, but it's also then adding those moments in that um that make the character seem even more i think i think that is the to to your point indiana jones is the everyman james bond is the aspire to man and despite the fact that james that india is the everyman he certainly is someone to be to that we would really if we really broke it down we'd have to aspire to as well oh sure but there's sure. those things that are just those little things that they add in that just make him so relatable um, and I think that that's just that's phenomenal. And those those scenes, the way that they just play, they play out with a little bit of humor and a little bit of emotion and uh, a, a dose of reality, too. Right. So it's all of it's all of those things mixed in. Um, and that, that scene between them is one of the most tender romantic scenes, I think, in, in history. I mean, the, that just that whole it's just done so well. Um you know, and she's like, where doesn't it hurt? You know, and he's like, you know, he shows <laughs> yeah. me like, uh, yeah, my, my, my elbow. And he's like, <laughs> right. you know, so she kisses it and he's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, well, well, here's not too bad. And, like, you know, like, and then oh, it's so, so very quietly, he just like kind of touches his lips. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it's just so well done by by people who are are just so good. Yeah. Yeah. 
really across the board. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I think uh, I do. One thing that doesn't get talked a lot about that is a scene that I really love um, is the final scene where uh, well, I shouldn't say the final scene, but maybe the penultimate scene. If we consider the forklift carrying the um, <laughs> the box as the final scene, right. then the penultimate scene is where Indy's frustrated with the agents for taking the arc and not studying it. And yet um, she, Marion is there with him. They are dressed to the nines. Now they're not, they're not no longer on an adventure. They're back in the real world. And um, there's this, he's frustrated that they're not, they're not doing what he would like them to do and she's kind of like we just got away from the worst situation possible let's go have a good time and it again it maintains the character the character arcs that they've both been on it maintains their um their the sense of characterization that you referred to earlier um and yet it is a scene where i i had a um i had somebody who was uh who studied storytelling can't remember her name i wish i could give her a shout out but she talked about the the, she would use two two terms and she would say storytelling is about you start out with your characters experiencing she used she used the word shalom which she then translated to mean like everything everything as it's supposed to be and then something crazy happens and it puts you down in the pit of pit of despair and then you have to crawl out of that pit of despair to get back to uh, maintaining shalom everything as it should be and i think that what that the movie does a really good job of that now it has a pre-scene that's like maybe that's not shalom because he's tr- he's in he's in the midst of an adventure but then when we see him teaching that's kind of his okay maybe it's not his shalom because everything should be him as an adventurer but like this is him in the normal life and then he returns to that normal life at the very end of the film as well and you can kind of see the differences there i I don't know i thought i just think that the the film has a balance there that is um that is it doesn't just end with a lot of films might end with all the germans die they untie themselves and they hug each other and kiss. And then the film just ends there. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. And it's like, no, well, we'll I... see what happens, but they didn't do that. They took it a step farther to go. No, 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 this is, everything's going to go back to the normal way that it was before. And, um, and I really like, I really like how that was done. That was really cool. Yeah. Any other, any other tips you can think of or any other comments? Well, I do think, you know, if you're looking at shortcuts, I mean, the, uh, I think they do a pretty good job with Belloc and hmm. Tolt, really. But as far as, you know, just having the, the Germans be Germans, I mean, that's yeah. that's a I mean, there's <laughs> there's no better bad guys on the planet. Yeah. Right. Like if so, exactly. you know, I mean, that's uh, at least those particular kinds of Germans, um, <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, not to not to single out like Germans as a whole. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but I mean, yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, you want to talk about timelessness. I mean, punching them never gets out of style, right? Like, right. it's it's just like, so you want to, um, and that, it's a shortcut, but, you know, it works. Yeah. Uh, I think the the level that they, uh, the characterization they give Belloc is really interesting because we don't, I don't think we ever side with him, but we come very close to actually liking him at, at a couple of times. Um and we realize that, you know, as bad as he is, he's not one of these like German tools, right? Yeah, like he's yeah. he's not like a tool. And he's he's doing things his own way for his own ends. 
uh, so he's not just Vichy, you know, Vichy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, I, you know, so there's some work there, but, and I think you always have to have, you know, uh, certainly in an adventure story like this, if you've got a hero, you need to have uh, a villain that is equal, if not like just uh, more intimidating because otherwise it just, the dynamic doesn't work. So yeah. you have to, as much work as you put in building up the hero, you have to put that work on the on the other side to build up the villain as well, or else it just doesn't it doesn't look like he's got any uh, any issues really. Like, oh, well, he's going to handle this guy, no problem. I don't really understand why there's a problem here because this guy's not even a threat. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that they set it up at the beginning, even though we say, oh, that really doesn't have to do anything in the plot, it does because it sets up their relationship. And, exactly. you know, we dislike him instantly because he, not, you know, he's taking this thing away from Indy that he works so hard for <laughs> and and he's done it many, many times. So when he pops up again in the movie, like a half hour later or whatever, you're like, oh, damn, like, like, <laughs> you know, exactly. right away, uh, this guy's bad news. Like, you know, yes. this guy's got Indy's number and we don't even have to like work that hard for it. It's just it's it's played out so smoothly. So you had to put in you had to put in the work. I don't think you can, you know, just, just put in the work to, to some characters and not others. Yeah. In fact, you made me think of another, another thing that um, I thought of this time watching it as well. And that is um, having a cast of characters who all have a different perception of what, should be done so for example belloc is belloc is really fascinating because belloc's goal is very explicitly stated this is a radio to god and i want to talk to god right um indiana jones's goal is very simple it is this is a historic piece uh, a historic artifact that should definitely not go into the hands of evil germans right um the evil germans want to use it for the military conquest that we know that will occur um and then you even have um you even have marion's view of it which marion's father used to work with indy dr ravenwood and the concept there is that she's basically like lives have been ruined chasing this thing so maybe we just shouldn't chase it right she goes along with indy but that's a it's it's another she she never at any time is encouraging indy to like keep looking for the ark she's she's there to see what happens um but those four different perspectives on on what should be done to that to then fight and conflict with one another about where the plot is headed um are really really fascinating so i think that's another good um it's another good reminder of like adding other characters in to be another perspective this is one of the things i think is one of the most powerful things about storytelling and i sometimes i get on a soapbox and talk about storytelling versus propaganda propaganda is there's only one way to view this subject and it's this way um what i love about storytelling is that there are multiple ways to view this topic and let's play all of those out and see what happens at the end, right? Um, and I think that that's a much more powerful way of telling a story because at that point you can now it puts a lot more work on the storyteller's shoulders oh, because sure. now you have to go understand those perspectives. And when you understand those perspectives, you actually have to treat them as if they're fair to have. So you have to say so. So the, now, is it fair to say that the German, the enemy Germans, want to have a powerful item? 
it's 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 uh you could say to your point we can use a shortcut and say well we all know that that's inherently bad but we still can see yeah powerful item is likely what they would want so you can kind of get behind the fact that someone would want that and have that as a goal and then we can look at belloc and we can go oh interesting like to your point he can sometimes almost seem like we like him and why is that because he has a goal and he's conniving in the way that he's going to get to it but it is not necessarily a goal we would not find in the world and so those make those make for better conflict they make for more reality and they make for less propaganda right um they reduce the propaganda that we're that we that we may otherwise see in in the film and so and propaganda is just there's one perspective on this and everyone who does not hold this perspective is is the worst um so yeah it's it's really really again that that i think can be traced directly back to Caston. Right, because he's the one that has to arrange these things into a screenplay that showcases all of those things. With again, this is a, this is an adventure story. It is not a story about how we should view the world per se. And so he knows how to inject those perspectives without making them become the main focus of the film, right? Um, which would be a completely different genre. So um, yeah, it's just really good stuff. I could I could talk about this for hours. Any last any last things you want to bring up? Um, well, just that I will say that uh, also, you know, I do think that, uh, uh, from working on the fan films, I think, uh, mm. when these were all done when I, you know, when I was a teenager, um, and nobody will ever see them outside of my <laughs> private family because they are not something I would show, let alone to the fact that I don't want to be sued by Disney. Um, <laughs> right. uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it is really thrilling to to try to come up with uh the pieces that you know you kind of feel like are are part of this story you know something for indiana jones to find somebody uh to go up against him why that is what what the stakes are etc cetera, etc cetera. uh whether there are other people um involved and what you know what their roles are going to be and if they if there are casualties because there have to be stakes you know there have to be like um uh, the threat has to feel real. So, you know, you can't just, you know, have, have nobody die because otherwise it doesn't feel like it's got like weight to it, you know? Um, and, 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 and those, those things along those lines, I mean, I, you know, obviously I wasn't nearly successful making anything as close to as great as this, but uh, it was, uh, I, I really relate to there. There's a bunch of guys who, um, notoriously made a fan film of Indian they they uh, Raiders Lost Ark and they filmed it shot by shot exactly oh, how yes, it was shot. Yes. uh and I've met those guys uh oh, no way. and yeah and oh great guys I I really related to their story um to an extent because uh and 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 because in, in a lot of ways they did they went through the same things we did in terms of trying to get all this stuff done for their movie However, they chose to remake a movie shot by shot, which is a challenge to be sure. Uh, but I was not interested in that. I was, <laughs> you know, I wanted to tell new stories. Uh, but I mean, either way is a learning experience, uh, yeah. I would think. And uh, yeah, people have a chance to see uh, the the fan uh, Raiders movie. Uh, they they should because that's a really and at the behind the scenes of making it is really fun too. I've seen some of the behind the scenes. I haven't seen the whole film. Um, yeah, there's a, the 
documentary yeah. on it which was done yeah. really well and yeah. uh they wrote a uh, one of the guys wrote a book i think and yeah and 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 you can see the movie um uh it's one of those things that I like i'd watch it once yeah <laughs> <laughs> right 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 <laughs> it is kind of interesting because they do come pretty close um but uh and they did a crowdfunding thing so they could finally do the wing scene because that was the one thing they didn't do they oh, couldn't no they weren't able to do so they got crowdfunding for that and that was pretty impressive but um and yeah, we weren't able to do anything on that scale. Uh, in fact, the first Indiana Jones movie that we made, uh, and I think we called, I think we, before Temple of Doom, it was just Raider stuff. So I know the first one that we made, which was before Temple of Doom, was just called Raiders of the Forgotten Fountain, because we chose oh, to nice. do the Fountain of Youth. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, and then I think Temple of Doom came out and then they had the theme that it was going to be Indiana Jones and the blah, blah, blah after yeah. that. So I think we changed the other two to just Indiana Jones and whatever. Um, awesome. And uh, but and so, yeah, I still think of it as a Raiders thing. Um, and I will say, too, just for the record, that I do not think any of the other uh, movies or anything else in the franchise has, has reached as great heights as the original movie. Mm. Uh, I do think uh, the, the third movie uh, comes the closest to me as far as the one I like yeah. the most. Yeah. Uh, I could not, I, I, as good as, as much as a, I loved Raiders of the Lost Ark, I can't tell you how disappointed I was coming out of Temple of Doom. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, it is. Uh, I came out of there and I was not happy at all. Um, yeah. And that's when I kind of really learned that, oh, I guess George and Steven don't see this guy the same way I do. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was kind of a weird experience, but uh, I still enjoy the movies and I'm really hopeful for the new one. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I'm really hopeful, hopeful for the new one, too. Um, by the way, we, we share as we close it out here, we do share one thing, and that is um, the first thing that I ever wrote was not a fan film but i wrote an indiana jones stage play oh, never finished wow. it i never finished it but i but i was like how could my friends and i do something that would be kind of fun and um and it was not a recreation of raiders but it was very similar in many ways and i and most of my time was taken up uh not writing as much as i should have been writing but actually trying to copy the drew struzan artwork <laughs> and, do, <laughs> and do my own artwork for, I, the, I, for the posters yeah, I, I made movie i made movie posters for all our movies and yes i i took uh i took an attempt at some of the artwork myself uh the uh, ansel poster is one that i oh. uh tried to uh to mimic on one occasion uh i will also say that uh uh for one of the uh in Indiana Jones fan films we did I actually played Indiana Jones and uh, yes. that was uh that was pretty fun I did not wear this hat because this hat is much too valuable for me um <laughs> but uh uh yeah I I am and that's the we didn't really talk about this either but and this is a whole other thing but the other thing about Raiders of Lost Ark that opened my eyes too was that I I just uh I mean it kind of happened after Star Wars but really like I said Raiders of Lost Ark was one I I just sort of said Wow. I mean, I kind of had a man crush on Harrison Ford, fell in love with him. And I've been following yeah. him. I followed him for at least a decade after that. Anything that he did, I was I was wanting to to watch because I just thought he was so compelling. Oh, I had the same. I had the exact same ha thing happen to me. In fact, I went back. I would say that that waned a little bit after um, Air Force One. 
But before that, yeah, I think mine was waning a little bit around that time too. Yeah. Yeah. Before that, I went back and even watched Mosquito Coast because I would watch oh. anything that Harrison Ford was in, effectively. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I don't think Mosquito Coast is a movie that very many people have seen unless you're obsessed with Harrison Ford. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, but what a what a quintessential movie star. What a quintessential movie star. I mean, he was just, uh, yeah. I mean, he was just behind the scenes as well as in front of the camera. And he was so mysterious because he didn't do a lot of interviews. He still doesn't or whatever, but you know, he's known as being crotchety or whatever, but he's always been kind of quiet and and not very flamboyant, et cetera, et cetera. So it was really, um, you know, it was just, uh, I think formative, uh, or at least he was an important figure in my, in my teen years, as far as, looking up to somebody and uh, wanting to be like somebody, I think uh, from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I mean, it's, yeah, it's not really, I mean, it's sort of related to the movie, but it's, yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't hurt. Let's put it that way. It goes beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it does. It it, it really does. And that's how I think that this movie became such a personal movie for me uh, Mm. and still will. I mean, I don't, I don't know if any movie can, I, I mean, right now it's been what over 40 years yeah. No movies even come close to touching me as as this one does. It's been important right. to my my being as this one. There, there's a there's on occasion where I can see maybe how another movie would be more impactful to somebody else. So, oh, for sure. example, I was watching um, I was watching Into the Spider Verse last night again for like the fourth or fifth time because I think that that film is the best, probably the best comic book movie that I've ever seen, um, and. Miles Morales as a character, I could see someone saying like, but see, that's different because that's an animated character. That isn't like you're seeing Harrison Ford on the screen, but I could see a lot of, I could see a lot of kids today be like, this is awesome. This is the kind of person that I want to try to shape myself around being. But those characters are, you know, those are truly the great characters of history or the ones that people say like, wait a minute, I got to think about this for longer because I think there's a part of this character that I really appreciate to the point that I want to replicate it in my own life um which is really really interesting and and dynamic um well mike i will let you get back to your night because we have been podcasting for two and a half hours it has been an absolute pleasure thank I you could, i could i'm just getting started i, <laughs> I know, I, what? know. I, could, I could talk about raiders <laughs> forever no I, I i appreciate it um it has been a blast yeah absolute blast uh check out mike's work with tiki zombie um and check out newlegendmike.com for all the other information about what he's up to uh eso podcast eso network check all of those out as well occasionally i'm a guest over on the eso podcast you can always well, i'm sure you'll be back super soon <laughs> yeah yeah i love i love chatting with you guys um and you guys have a great crew over there uh phenomenal crew in fact we shared um ashley pauls was on both of our crews for a little while there she was yeah, writing for yeah. us which is we awesome. still got her so yeah 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 we won we won we won the we win the ashley pool <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> to ashley ashley you're the best she's um, awesome she's great. yeah she's really cool awesome mike we'll have a great rest of your night great weekend and we will look forward to seeing dial of destiny and and talking about that i'm sure Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, man. Take care. Of course. You too.